Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, that was a weekend. I knew it was going to be a crazy weekend when it started with the Padres throwing a no-hitter Friday night. Yeah, so the San Diego Padres have gone 53 years without a no-hitter, and to get it thrown by a guy who went to Grossmont High School? I went to Valhalla. They're in the same league. They're not far apart. And they were close enough, actually, that my school was a brand-new school, and they ran out of money when they were building it. So they, they knew they could either build swimming pools or a gymnasium. Well, they figured if we build the swimming pools, later on we can go back and say, well, we got to have a gym. you got to give us money for a gym. But they'd never be able to go back and say, well, you got to give us money for swimming pools. So they built the swimming pools. And we ended up with a good swim team and a great water polo team. They didn't build a gym. My freshman team literally practiced outdoors. The JV and the varsity practice in Grossmont High's old gym. We were close enough to go to Grossmont and use, they had two gyms there because they were, you know, the school was 80 years old. So, uh, yeah, I've been on the Grossmont campus a few times, and now a Grossmont uh, foothiller has thrown a no-hitter in the major league. So that took a little more than 8,000 games for the Padres to pull that off. Good to be off that list. All these expansion teams that came in later, Tampa Bay and, well, actually, Seattle and Toronto. (laughs) Tampa Bay later, Arizona, Colorado, and they all, oh, my gosh. Well, good to get that. Maybe it's a sign of things to come. They had a good weekend. so. But that kind of kicked things off. The Masters, uh, I was really entertained Saturday when, uh, when uh, Matsuyama just went berserk on the back nine and blew the thing open and had the four-shot lead, pushed it up to five at the turn, actually led by six briefly on the back nine, and then it got tense. I mean, the, the Masters just never disappoints. And at six, you really thought, well, he's just going to cruise home. What's the point? Uh, but, hey, one guy puts up a string of birdies, you dump the ball in the water, and it's on. Give credit to Matsuyama, though. He found a way to uh, pull it out. Xander Shoffley dumped one in the water at 16, and, and that pretty much drained the drama out of it. So Matsuyama carrying uh, you know, the hopes of a nation on his shoulders, and Japan now has their first major champion in golf. Uh, on the men's side, they've had on the women's side, but on the men's side. So that was pretty cool. And then you got the Utah Jazz. And we'll get to the best of the Jazz postgame show coming up. Uh, the Jazz beat the Sacramento Kings. It was another eh, first half. Not enough defense. 30-point quarters, 60-point half, 65 actually. They're down 65-59. And on the one hand, it doesn't really matter because they're good enough to come back and win the game. But I think at the uh, – you know, if you really want to be a stickler, and if you're a coach and you're getting paid to be the stickler, you know, I think Quinn just wants him to step on the court and do things the right way. Not because they have to, but because it's just automatic. The playoffs are going to be so hard. The West is so deep that, and if you get out of the West, then the finals will be hard as well. So you're just looking at so many hard playoff games and so many difficult playoff series that he just wants things, doing things the right way to be automatic. Not that you have to think about it and make an effort to do things the right way, which is what the Jazz frequently have to do against teams in the bottom half of the league and Sacramento's in the bottom half of the league. Now, the fact is they came out and put an 8-0 run on them, but they did kind of mess around. And, you know, they they taken control. They had a really good third quarter. And they taken control, but at the start of the fourth quarter, Sacramento went on a big run. They, they went on like an 11-0 run and took the lead 198. You know, you really haven't given yourself much room here, guys. But Joe Ingles got mad. Somebody said something to him. And he won't repeat what it was or who it was because he's saving it for his radio show. 
Probably not, but I wish. Um, <clears throat> I think it was De'Aaron Fox. That was they caught a you know the two of them having a conversation on camera. Now it could have been anything else. Joe routinely chirps at the opposing bench, sometimes in fun, sometimes with a little bit more of an edge. Um, it could have been anything. Uh, Fox is the obvious guess. So, but whatever it was, it got him going. And you know, if Michael Jordan can do it, well, then I guess if it works for him, it can work for anybody else. You know, Jordan would always find someone who irritated him, as we found out in the documentary. Uh, you know, he'd even make it up if he had to. So Joe found someone who irritated him, and he went for 20. Um, they were shorthanded, and they're going to be shorthanded again tonight. They're going to be more shorthanded tonight because it looks like um, the ongoing hamstring issues, managing those, that Conley won't play back-to-back. And Clarkson's out. So bigger role for Joe tonight, and then presumably they'll have Conley back on Tuesday. Don't know about Clarkson. He's missed three games now. And... You know, you'd like to be the one seed, but the most important thing is to have your whole team healthy for the playoffs. And, uh, they, you know, the, the cool thing about this is that, um, you know, Clarkson for six million a year, but Joe's pretty good in that conversation himself. So it's a real luxury for the Jazz. We'll probably see more Mieoni. That seems like a foregone conclusion. And then they'll probably have to go down a little deeper and put somebody else in the rotation. And, you know, they went out and got Ilya Sova, or maybe it's one of the other young guys they've been grooming. Um, you know, we'll have to see. There's several options out there. Uh, we'll have to see how they play it. they got enough guys who play multiple positions, um, aside from Rudy and Favors. But the other four positions, you got guys who play multiple positions, so they can really do whatever they want and kind of move combinations of guys around. So we'll see what Quinn does there. Um, for the Jazz now, it's just uh, line them up and knock them down. And these teams coming in are not as good as you. And the Jazz should be favored. they got three more games in this homestand. It'll be the Wizards tonight. Um, it's the Thunder tomorrow. And then Friday, Saturday, they have a pair of matinees. It's very unusual. They're going to play Friday and Saturday afternoon. Saturday starts um, the Lakers two-game set. is Saturday and Monday in L.A. So it doesn't look like the Lakers are going to have their guys back. Um, but, hey, the Lakers without their guys beat the Brooklyn Nets Saturday night. So that was a little surprising. Gave the Lakers, because Portland lost last night, Lakers now with a two-game cushion. And are they going to drop to six? Can they get back up to three? Uh, basically, can they get out of the four or five series so they don't have to play, the Jazz don't have to play them in the second round? Put them on the other side of the bracket with the, the, the Suns, Clippers, Lakers, if the Lakers drop to six, could all go to the other side of the bracket. But that still leaves the Nuggets on your side of the bracket. And they looked great yesterday until they gave up a 31-3 run to the Celtics. That was horrific. <laughs> How do you give up a 33-1? They got outscored 31-8 to in the fourth quarter. And lost to the Celtics. Bizarro game. All right, we got to take a break. The other thing that happened this weekend, the Utes. The University of Utah with a scrimmage. Kyle Whittingham speaking with the media. You'll hear from him next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Utes had a scrimmage behind closed doors. We know very little of what happened, but Kyle did talk a little bit about it. So we'll let you listen in as he pumps up all of the quarterbacks, one in particular, but all of them. Here's Kyle Whittingham on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. 
really good ending to the week. Uh, it's practice 12, uh, big scrimmage, um, very similar to last week, more situational than it was last week. We hit virtually every situation uh, in this scrimmage today. Not quite as extensive as last week, but almost. I think it was about 115, 120 snaps, which uh, maybe a dozen or so less than last week. But uh, good work. Uh, plenty of special teams work in addition to, to offense, defense. But like I said, we hit uh, virtually every aspect backed up, two-minute, four-minute, uh, high red, low red, short yardage. Uh, we, we had it all. And so uh, much better tempo this week by the offense. Last week, one of the things that was a negative was the tempo of the offense too slow, getting in out of the huddle, uh, pressing the play clock too often. So much, much better in that regard this week. Um, did turn the ball over a couple times this week, or today offensively, which bad for the O, good for the D. Uh, some good work in the red zone. Uh, defense came up with a heck of a goal line stand in one of the series. Uh, a lot of production by the offense. Much better job throwing the football today than last week. And it wasn't bad last week, but it was, it was very good this week. Guys making plays. Charlie Brewer did a nice job putting the ball where it needed to be, and we saw some progress out of the other four quarterbacks as well. Everyone's taking a step forward uh, collectively as a team, which has to happen. Uh, now we got three practices next week, full gear on Tuesday, physical physical practice, uh, no pads on Thursday, and then we'll culminate with the spring ball or the spring game on Saturday at noon, and uh, that'll be a wrap. And then we'll be getting ready for. Uh, the uh, summer conditioning, which starts June 1. So that's where we're at. And uh, go ahead and ask questions. First up will be John Kuhn with AP, followed by Trevor Allen with KSL Sports. Kyle, you've talked about it at different points this spring. You said John um, Candy, did you? No. <laughs> John Candy. Oh, no, he's, he's long on gone. KSL Sports, and we'll come back to you, John. Can't hear Trevor. Oh, hey, Coach. Um, I just got technical difficulties, guys. Can you hear me, Coach? Can you guys hear me? Went to an REL Speedwagon concert one time with technical difficulties. It was miserable. Can you guys hear me? Did they even hear the opening statement? <laughs> they not. There's nothing, nothing valuable in Okay. All right, we're going to go back to John. Can you put closer to me? Okay. Can you, can you hear me? Yes, if you speak up, I got you. Okay. Kyle, uh, you, you've mentioned a couple of times this spring uh, Brewer's progression at quarterback. Um, what is really keyed his progression what's allowed him to just hit the ground running and, and really grasp the playbook so quickly in, in uh, Utah well first and foremost I would say that uh, all those preps he had in the in the big 12 were prepping him for you know when he got here I mean he's he's a guy that's uh, played so much football at this level uh, as far as being able to digest offense he's done an outstanding job of of uh, studying on his own time, which all great quarterbacks do. There's not a quarterback worth of salt that doesn't spend a ton of time outside of the structured meeting times uh, on his own, uh, getting getting schooled up and watching extra film and all that type of stuff. So he does all the little things that uh, make a difference uh, between being 
uh, just average or being really good. And so he's he's uh, paid that price, and it didn't start during spring ball. He was from the day he set foot on campus. He's been in that playbook and in the film room, and and uh, what you see out on the field. I guess you don't see it, but what we see out on the field is a product of uh, all that hard work. Next question will come from Trevor Allen with KSL Sports, followed by Cole Bagley with Utah Daily Chronicle. Kyle, you it sounded like the, the defense had a really good scrimmage today. If, from what it sounds like, who, who has stood out in, in today's scrimmage? Okay, we had a bunch of guys making plays. Uh, Clark Phillips had a nice interception, made some, made some big plays. Uh, the defensive front was physical uh, from start to finish. Um, trying to think specifically in the back end, Zamaya Vaughn made a couple of real nice plays. He's, he's adjusting to that corner spot, uh, moving from safety. Um, Devin Lloyd was all over the place, as always. He's, he's a guy that makes a ton of plays every, every practice. Uh, we weren't uh, with Mika Tafua. He had a little minor injury that kept him out today. Um, but overall, a lot, a lot of good play uh, by the defense overall. Maybe didn't tackle uh, quite as well as we did last week, but uh, we did create some takeaways on that side of the ball. And like I said, I had, we had that nice goal line stand. And uh, just overall, uh, a good effort and good hustle, uh, good uh, mentality by our defense today. Next question will come from Cole Bagley, followed by Josh Newman with the Sully Tribune. Kyle, I'm curious, what was what were your um, initial thoughts and reactions when Jalen Dixon uh, came back from the transfer portal? Well, first of all, I had to understand why and what the, what the scenario was. Uh, he was a heck of a football player. He had to mention to our to our receiving core that. Uh, that we don't, uh, you know, no, nobody has too much speed, and, and he gives us a lot of speed at that position. He, he takes the top off the coverages. But uh, my first inclination was, okay, let's listen to what he had to say, and, and it all made sense. And and then uh, obviously, you know, very excited after that that he was coming back for the right reasons because he's a heck of a football player and made a lot of plays for us over the course of the last few years. And so, uh, but first we had to understand because typically when you go in the portal, you're going elsewhere. But uh, he uh, had a very thoughtful, I had a thoughtful conversation with him. He gave me some, some, some uh, good background and feedback on what was going on in his life. And uh, it was a no brainer for me. Took it to the leadership council. They felt the same way. And so he has uh, been reinstated, obviously. And then just a quick follow up. How has Next he been performing? Special from Josh Newman, followed by Steve Bartle with the Ute Zone. Kyle, how are you doing? Oh, there we go. Doing good. Thank you. Sorry about that. I couldn't hit the button. Um, uh, between yourself and the coaching staff, you know, from week one to week two, scrimmage one to scrimmage two, how does your mindset change in terms of what you're looking to see or what you're hoping to see? Well, first of all, we're hoping to see a cleaner execution on offense, uh, more, uh, just more uh, efficiency, uh, fewer mental mistakes, which we definitely did today. The mental mistakes were way down. And if you're going to make mistakes, make new ones. Don't make the same mistakes over and over. You, know, you got to learn from what you do wrong. And, and uh, you know, if you continue with that mentality, making corrections, eventually you run out of mistakes to make and you, and you start playing some good football. And so what we needed to see was, uh, was just that. The tempo I mentioned was not good in the first scrimmage, was really good in the second scrimmage. Uh, came out of it healthy, which is another huge plus. But uh, we just took another big step forward as a, as a football team. 
uh, between scrimmage one and scrimmage two, which would have been week two to week three, uh, or excuse me, week three to week four. And uh, we need to do that again this week. There's still things that we got to get better at. There's no doubt about it. And uh, we've got three opportunities on the field to do it and three opportunities in the film room to get things corrected. And so we've got to keep moving, forging ahead and moving forward. This team has a, a really good attitude, a really good work ethic, uh, outstanding leadership. And, uh, you know, right now it's just a matter of getting, continuing to get better at, uh, at what we're doing. There really is no huge glaring deficiency at this point. Our next question will come from Steve Bartle with Zone, followed by Trevor Allen. Coach, I'm, I'm curious with the offensive line, are you, I guess, seeing the, the progress, the chemistry developing uh, the way you, uh, you hope to coming into spring ball? We've seen some of that. It hasn't been uh, the point of emphasis with the offensive line. The point of emphasis with the offensive line and every other position is for every player to get better fundamentally and technique-wise, and we have definitely seen that. We've done a lot of cross-training with the O-line this spring, meaning guys play in different spots so they can play multiple spots if we get in a in a, a injury situation in the fall and are pressed into that. Now's the time to do that type of stuff. Starting day one of fall camp, that's the time for, for or, you know, as, as quickly as you can identify who those five starters are going to be and allow them to play together the vast majority of those first 25 practices. And we feel that's uh, an adequate amount of time to, to have that unit uh, gel. Same thing with the secondary. The two units uh, that really need to play together and, and really start to you know, think as one is the front on offense and the, and the secondary on defense. Those are the two units that need to get used to playing with each other next to each other. And uh, we feel like uh, we've got plenty of time to do that in the fall. And we have seen a little bit of that start this spring. But again, that was not the emphasis. Uh, it's not a schematic deal in the spring for us. We're not trying to out-scheme each other offensively and defensively. We're trying to make each individual player better. If we can do that, then uh, we've got a more solid foundation and a better base to build from come, uh, come fall camp. Next question will come from Trevor Allen, followed by Cole Bagley. Uh, we, we had talked to Brant Keithy after we already talked to you on Thursday, and we, we asked him about why, why he chose to come back instead of going to the NFL. And, and he ended up giving the, the same answer as Devin Lloyd, that he wanted to win a championship. And so for guys to, to come back for a year for that common goal rather than going to the NFL, what does that say about your guys and also about the program? Well, it says we had a bunch of team guys. They're, they're hungry to, uh, to win it all in the Pac-12, and we've been close. But we haven't got over that hump. That's no secret. We don't hide from that. But, uh, you know, being in the league for the time we've been in, we've, we felt like we've made good progress from day one to where we are right now, a contender every year in the South. And hopefully uh, we'll get that breakthrough to, to be able to uh, win the Pac-12 in its entirety. And it's a credit to those guys uh, to have that mentality. Also, that was not the only thing in the equation. You know, there's academics in the equation. Get started on master's degrees and that type of thing. Also, uh, increasing your stock, your, your draft value. You know, your stock goes up. Uh, the more you play, we didn't have a full season last year. Everyone knows that. We had five games. And so I think every guy that made the decision to come back, which was every guy, uh, made the right decision. I really believe that. And it's not to say they're not good enough to play in the NFL. It's a matter of increasing your stock and the risks uh, were outweighed by the reward that is potentially there. There is risk in coming back. Everyone understands that. But uh, I think uh, when you put everything in the equation, they all definitely made the right decision. Final question will come from Cole Bagley. 
Hey, Coach, sorry, just going back to um, Jalen Dixon. I'm just curious, how has he been performing uh, thus far? Had his best scrimmage today. Well, his best practice today. Uh, it was only the second scrimmage. But when you add everything up, the scrimmages, the practices, he made he made an impact today. Caught some balls, uh, did some really good things, and so I would say that he's uh, officially shaken all the rust off, and and uh, he's uh, playing good ball for us, and he will have a role for us uh, this fall, no question about it. He's uh, he's going to be in that rotation. There's Kyle Whittingham. When we come back, the best of the Jazz Post Game Show. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK, 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. The Utah Jazz do it again. They win. They beat the Sacramento Kings. The five-game homestand has opened with a couple of wins. The middle game tonight with the Wizards, and then they play the Thunder tomorrow night, so they got a home back-to-back here. Uh, let's get to the best of the postgame show. Let you listen to the Jazz after they beat the Kings, and Joe got all riled up by somebody, and you'll hear him not want to talk about it while he eats a tortilla or something. I don't know. Quesadilla? What is Joe eating? Talking with his mouth full on TV. All right, and on the radio. Here's the best of the postgame show. It's your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Saturday night, the Jazz beat the Kings 128 to 112. Really took over in the second half, pulled away in the fourth quarter. 42 points from Donovan Mitchell. 26 from Mike Conley, including Red Hot in the fourth quarter. And Joe Ingles coming off the bench, 20 points. Six assists, three rebounds in 31 minutes. And apparently somebody said something to him on the floor that got him fired up. He uh, relayed that to Donovan. Donovan was fired up, and uh, they had a big-time second half of basketball and come away with win. Let's get some post-game sound. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Hey, Coach. First up, we'll have Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Quinn, just uh, wondering if you could kind of comment on how you felt about the first half defensive effort and then what, if anything, you thought changed post-halftime. Well, you know, a couple of things we talked about. One was just transition defense, um, you know, which, you know, all of you guys know we've, we've emphasized a lot and emphasized it the beginning of the game and the other, you know, our communication defensively um, is crucial. And, you know, we, we had, you know, Royce had 14 rebounds. Rudy had 12 rebounds. Fave, you know, was terrific. You know, when they went small, um, blocking a couple shots, chasing off pin downs and some offensive rebounds. We, we had some guys really throw themselves into the defensive end. And, you know, when that happens, um, you know, good things happen. That, that's what we saw on the offensive end. And I, th- I think it was a function of our defense. The, um, the ball started moving. And so a lot of those things, I, I think our guys um, could feel as the game went on and, and got better at it. Just, just a quick follow-up. Um, you've mentioned several times in, after recent games, you know, needing to discuss kind of improving the transition defense. Is it kind of a concern at this point that that becomes kind of a recurring thing? 
Um, it, it's a concern f- from the standpoint that it's something that we just want to demand of ourselves. And, um, you know, I, I thought at the beginning of the game, you know, I mentioned this before, uh, all of a sudden you're, you're feeling Fox's speed. Um, but some of the breakdowns in transition are just communication. And, you know, that's something, you know, talking is a habit, um, you know, like running back and, you know, we want to crash the offensive glass when it's available because that's another way to impact transition defense. Um, but if not, it's not enough just to be back when someone's running the ball. You've got to be back and talking because, uh, you know, you may not have a matchup in transition. So it, it's, as I said, it's it, it's really important for us, um, you know, to set our half-court defense. And, you know, teams know that, you know, this is a smart league and teams will continue to try to run on us, so. I don't know how many times we turn the ball over tonight, but that's been a big key for us is taking care of the ball. Cause again, it's, it's difficult to defend against those plays too. Andy Larson's like Tribune. I thought Joe came in, especially kind of second half and changed the game a little bit with his ability to shoot. And then also kind of tenacity defensively, kind of what did you see from him and uh, why did you choose to end the game with him in the, in that finishing lineup? Well, you know, Joe, I, th- I think in the first half, um, you know, did, it, did an excellent job. They were switching one through five pick and roll, and he was creating for other people. And, you know, a lot of times when you do that, you're the one that ends up, you know, with the shot. And our ability to trust each other offensively and move the ball, um, you know, when there isn't necessarily a clear purpose other than to share the ball and, you know, that's something Joe was doing. And as you mentioned, I thought defensively, you know, he, he gave effort. And, um, you know, we, we've we closed the game with, with different lineups. We've been, you know, as I said earlier, you know, our, our substitution patterns have, have been pretty consistent. But, you know, every game's different. You know, our, our team knows that. And, you know, tonight, you know, Joe had an opportunity to, to, to close. Last question, Ben Anderson, CastleSports.com. Quinn, what did Sacramento do that uh, allowed them to hold Rudy Gobert to just two attempts? Well, it's a little bit when, when the ball sticks, um, you know, it's, it's easier for them to, to shift and really put bodies on him um, on the offensive glass. Um, But as far as the, the attempts go, when they're switching pick and roll one through five and they're just pulled in from the corners, um, you know, it's really congested and that's where, you know, we had to find people, but, you know, Rudy's such a big part of what we do as we know, you know, he impacts the game in so many ways. And, um, you know, I I thought his ability without getting shots to keep his composure and some of the things that he did on the defensive. And we say that a lot, but I know our, you know, our guys are conscious of, of getting, getting him touches and getting him the ball. Um, you know, oftentimes the game doesn't present it that way. I think tonight, um, you know, the more we move the ball, the, the more those opportunities are going to present themselves. And that's why our ball movement is so important because it involves everybody, um, including Rudy on whatever it's a lob or a drop off. Um, but we saw that, you know, our Dallas game, it, people are putting two bodies on them and they don't they don't want to leave them, which is all the more reason for us to, to really play with quick decisions and, you know, 0.5 reads and not shot fake and, you know, drive into a gap to, to get someone else a shot. 
There's Coach Quinn Snyder. Uh, his team beat the Kings 128-112. to Let's move on to the players. Let's start things off with Donovan Mitchell. Yep. All right, Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Hey, Don, what was, uh, what was going on at the end there with uh, De'Aaron? Was that, who was he talking to and kind of what happened there? Oh, he was talking to the ref, you know, but Fox has been, you know, game was over. Fox has been a friend of mine since high school and there's no need to lose money over a situation like that, you know, and I just was being, you know, game's over, competition's over. So now it's, you know, it's my, it's my guy. I'm going to make sure he doesn't, you know, lose money in that situation. It wasn't nothing towards us or anything, but, um, you know, I figured he would do the same for me, you know, and I think that's, that's what it was, you know, between the lines it's war. But when I see that, you know, I'm kind of like, yo, like it's an easy 15,000 lost. You might as well save that. Matt Cole's AP. Donovan, after your slow start uh, this game, what really got you going, especially in that second half? Um, I don't want to put Joe on the spot, but I am. Somebody said something to Joe, <laughs> uh, to be honest. And Joe gave an answer that I hadn't heard in a, uh, a while, and that just fired me up. You know, I, when Joe gets angry, I get angry. And, you know, you saw it. Like, he was coming down cashing in you know y'all probably ask him and he probably won't say what it was and I won't either but you know that's that's really what turned the tide for myself personally you know as far as a team you know I think the biggest thing was we just found a way to win you know like it was it was ugly you know we didn't I didn't shoot the ball well we did made a few mistakes defensively a bunch of mistakes defensively offensively we were kind of stagnant but you know the team that we want to be in July wins games like this, you know, perseveres through, you know, the struggles, perseveres through whatever. And it's been a long week and we could have easily chalked it up when they went up to it and said, ah, it's not us. It's not our night. But, you know, the team we want to be wins a game like this. And we did, you know, and now we can go back and look and fix little things that we'll see and go from there. But uh, I'm proud of the way we all competed tonight, you know, because like I said, after the week we had, it could have been easy to just be like, all right, we're tired today and kind of keep it pushing. But, you know, we went out there and fought and, and competed. And credit to SAC, too, uh, for their relentlessness as well. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Don. So after the last few games, Quinn's kind of brought up the communication, the lack of communication in terms of transition defense. Is that kind of becoming a problem area? The, and, and not just transition, I guess, defensively overall. Is that something that's uh, still something that you guys need to work on? I wouldn't say it's a, it's a problem. I think it's something that needs to be addressed. I think it's something, and I don't think it needs to be addressed, maybe not necessarily through going through it physically in practice. I think it's the biggest thing is just keeping that on the forefront of our brain. You know, you look at, like, we almost lost this game due to transition. You know, you look at how we lost Phoenix. Um, I wouldn't say it's the only reason, but it was a big reason was we lost offense rebounding. And then we played Portland and we, we kicked their butts on the boards. Like, you know, for us, we got to keep that in our brain because at the end of the day, I wouldn't want to go against our half court offense defense either. You know, we're, we're pretty good in that realm. So for us, we got to understand that that's what teams want to do. Just like we want to run teams want to run and we got to make it an emphasis to talk, not run back to our man, not jog. And it, it takes a mental, it takes mental effort, you know, and it's, it's tough when you're not making shots, but that's when you got to dial in even more um, and, and communicate it and just find guys. And we know Fox is going to go out there and just try and attack downhill and find guys. And he did a good job of that tonight. And, you know, I think the biggest thing for us is to, you know, thank God it's April, you know, and we can fix this, but we understand that, look, like this is going to be something that we're going to see because teams don't want to necessarily go against us in the half court. 
you know, and I think that's something that we just got to be keep on the forefront of our brain and continue to work on. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. A couple of questions. One, Donovan, you've averaged 40 points a game over the last three games. What is it that's kind of clicking from you for to be so aggressive that, as you have been? Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing is watching, like just kind of picking my spots, um, going about, you know, and, and, and honestly, I feel like a lot of the shots that I'm taking now outside of tonight, you know, I mean, they, they went in when they counted. But, you know, the biggest thing is getting to the free throw line, seeing the ball go in, picking my spots, choosing my spots, and just continue to work the reps, you know, trusting my work. You know, there's shots that I've been working on all year, all summer, and now they're really just starting to fall. You know, I think that's really it. You know, just a mindset of just being in attack mode, but also being able to find guys. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that I've been really locked in on. And, you know, my teammates trust me, you know, and I think it's it's my responsibility with that. With that comes, you know, a great responsibility as far as playmaking and scoring. And, you know, I'm just trying to do the best that I can and continue to build um, and find ways to get better and better. There's Donovan Mitchell, 42 points from Donovan. Uh, talked a little bit about uh, Joe Ingles uh, being angry. said when Joe is angry, Donovan is angry. And uh, they played like it in the second half for sure. Let's now hear from George Niang. All right, we'll start with Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. George, I'm curious. This seemed like a game where there was more talk between you guys and the Kings bench or some of the Kings players on the court. What happened and how did – yeah, I guess how did it unfold? Um – that's a good question. Sometimes you come into a game and when a team uh, kicks you in the mouth to start 12-1, I mean, you got to find something to kind of get your juices going. They were feeling confident, you know, and we kind of wanted to take their confidence away. So sometimes, you know, within the heat of the game, you just get to John back and forth. And that's just kind of what led to that. And, you know, they were feeling high, you know, being up 12-1. And we didn't like how that felt. So, you know, we – let them hear about it. They're a great team. They're a good team. Um, you know, they're battling. Um, but they definitely came out with a sense of urgency, definitely more than us, to start the game. Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. Uh, George, what do you guys miss when Jordan Clarkson's not in the lineup, especially there in the in the second unit that you play so much with? A barrage of points, like just out of nowhere. Um, now, I think we miss Jordan just for the sense of – you know, he's a guy that, you know, literally throw the ball to him and he makes something happen. He's making other teams over help, drawing two defenders. Um, and what was unique tonight about Sacramento is, you know, they switched one through five. And uh, so, you know, we needed to find new ways to get closeouts and get our so-called uh, blender going and getting their guys in rotation. And uh, once we did, you know, when it rains, it pours for us. So that's kind of, you know, what we're holding our hat on with, with deep defending and, and slowing teams down with having, a, I think it was a 23 and a 24 point quarter in the second half is, you know, sticking to that. And eventually our shots will fall and we'll start getting them in rotations and, you know, take the lead. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, George, two questions. Uh, first off, just what does it feel like when you guys have had, you know, a three-game stretch of not shooting the ball particularly well and then finally starting to see them kind of going in bunches, you know, yourself especially. Yeah, uh, you know, I wish I had, like, a good, like, one-liner for what it feels like. Um, it just doesn't feel good, you know. It's like waking up with a migraine. It's like, oh, here we go again, you know. And, 
you know, it's, it feels good to see the ball go in, especially for a lot of guys that do more for us than just shoot, you know, um, you know, Royce may not be shooting the ball as, as well as he's capable of, but he's impacting the game in so many other ways. Uh, you know, with his defense, he had 14 rebounds tonight. Um, you know, to see the ball go in more for Joe, you know, even even Mike. Um, I think, like I've said this before, you know, when you have happiness for other guys and their success, you know, it, it's really a wonderful thing. And I think that's what this team has. Uh, so to answer your question, it sucked not seeing the ball in. It also sucked losing. But we also know that, you know, that's how teams are going to guard us. And we're going to need to, you know, make plays in other areas if shots aren't falling for us to win games, like I said, especially in the playoffs. And uh, secondly, Rashawn Holmes had, an, had a pretty incredible first half, 21 points, eight for eight. You guys seemed like kind of more, far more ratchet locked in on the interior defensively in the second half. What changed from your perspective? I think we just had more of a sense of urgency. Um, you know, once we started, you know, making guys miss rather than, you know, being there and hoping that they miss, uh, good things happen to us. I mean, let's not get this misconstrued. I mean, Rudy is the defensive player of the year, and he's going to get people's best game every night. So for him to have 21 points at half, and I don't know, what do you end with, 25? Yeah, four points. It's like, okay, you woke up a monster. You know what I mean? It happens in the NBA. You know, sometimes you come out with a lull, not saying that Rudy did, but sometimes, you know, that happens. And then it's like, all right, you got my attention now. And now let's really, let's really play. And you saw what happened then. He's a great, he's a great, he's a good player, but, you know, Rudy is the two-time defensive player of the year for a reason. No questions asked. There's a reason behind that. There's George Niang. He was four of five from three coming in off the bench, 12 points, a couple of rebounds, steal, and always an entertaining uh, post-game interview. Let's wrap up the player sound with the man himself. Let's hear from Joe Ingles. First up, we'll have Matt Cole's AP. I already know what the first question will be, and I ain't answering it. Oh, really? Are you sure? I know, one, I know there's going to be one question. <laughs> It was already asked, and I'm just letting you all know now. Don't bother asking it because I ain't answering it. What was the key? Continue, Matthew. Okay. What was the key to the second half comeback? I mean, it was the fourth quarter. Um, Actually, you were down one with six minutes left. Yeah. I mean, um, obviously, they we, we knew coming in, obviously, how quick they play, how it makes and misses. They, they push the ball, and obviously, Fox is – maybe the quickest, if not one of the top few at pushing the ball. Um, I think we got caught a few times with him pushing it. They, they got some threes or, or got in the lane. And um, I think as the game went on, we got better and better and more comfortable offensively with the switching defense. I think we kind of figured some things out tonight that we probably haven't. Um, I think we played better against the switching defense tonight than we have um, in a few other games this year. Um Made some shots. Guys shot with confidence. We got in the paint. Guys had eyes out. We were able to – obviously, making shots helps. Um, but, yeah, we were, we were able to make some, some – the, the play that stands out to me a little bit is that, like, Rudy getting his hand on that pocket pass and, and so we were making plays like that towards the end, which we weren't in the first half. So, um, yeah, good good second half. I think we – I think Coach said we held him to 23 and 22 or 24 or something in the last quarter. So, it's, it's obviously a, a good defensive effort. Eric Walden, Salih Chibian. So, Joe, we were told that uh, the Kings said something to you to get you fired up. No comment. 
That's the one that you didn't want to answer. Well done. All right. Thank you, you get the you get the golden ticket. And Anderson Sports.com. So Joe, why does trash talking help you and get you going? Because a lot of guys honestly see, well, I'll see, see what you're doing there. They, they I'll see, see what you're doing there. there. Um it's actually funny, like I mean, obviously I, I've said it before, like I never go into a game thinking of talking to anyone. I obviously get in probably more conversations with people than anyone else uh, on our team. But I mean, it's happened a few times. There was one in Detroit, I remember, and then Donovan heard it and it kind of fired Donovan up too. And he went for like 600. Um, there, there's been different times. There was a, there was one here where I blew a kiss at the, the kid who's, I think that was against Detroit too, actually. Um, where Blake was coming up, like just, just little things. Um, I honestly like deep down inside, I think it's really funny. Like I really, it's, it's more of a kind of funny comedy thing to me, but, um, yeah, obviously it, it, uh, it lights something up in me that, um, yeah, it's makes the game fun. Um, I don't really know how else to answer it, to be honest. Sorry. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. So, Quinn was kind of talking about how you guys were stagnant a little bit with the ball movement against them switching one through five, and then you come into the game and kind of change that a little bit. How do you change that and kind of get the blender going again? Um, well, when you can't really blow by anyone one-on-one, there's no point in me holding the ball for too long. So, um, <clears throat> Quinn nicely, a couple of years ago, um, had a conversation with me about getting the switch, and then kind of driving at that next guy kind of inside the three point line a little bit and like pitching it back or, or trying to get down the lane, but, but obviously making a play. Um, I mean, it's just kind of, I think I did it a few times early on when we first talked about it and it like Mike or whoever it was, was like getting a shot from behind or Donovan, I was about to pitch it and they were able to break the pain again. And um, it's just always stuck with me. I think it's, I think it's a good thing for me to do. I don't want to, I saw him go between the legs six times and shoot a step back. So it's a, it's a, it's a good thing for me. And um, I try to, I think in the start, we, we said it in the first time out that we're almost leaving Donovan and Mike out to dry a little bit in that first few minutes with just like ISO on and kind of standing and watching them. Um, obviously they're good enough to do that if we need them to do it. But um, uh, I think at the, especially early on, we want to be able to break the paint, get the ball moving Um and then that obviously ends up in us getting shots and um, kind of Rudy on the rim if he's flat or, or kicking it out for a three. So, um, yeah, I just try to kind of, I guess, get that going. As soon as I got in, I saw they were a bit stagnant and I think we started the game like 0 for 7 or something. Like we didn't make a shot early except Rudy's free throw. So, try to get the ball moving. We were able to do it. And then, like I said, we, we um, played well kind of – not just from that point, but more in the second half against that switching defense. I think we found some things that we can use going forward that we've haven't haven't in the past um, that have made us a bit more stagnant than we were tonight. Sir Todd, Desert News. Joe, it looked like you were there with Don at the end when Fox was kind of jawing at the ref. Uh, I guess I guess this is on the other end of the spectrum from trash talking after the game is over, stepping in to keep him from saying something that he might regret. What what goes into that kind of a decision? Um, I just went to tell him good game. Uh, to be honest with you, and I, I saw or heard Donovan saying, um, like just kind of leave it or whatever. What like obviously there's 
from my point of view, like nothing's changing post game. Um, if there was something, we'll get the two minute report or someone gets, I don't know who gets the two minute report. Someone gets a two minute report. Do we get it? Derek will get our two minute report. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's obviously, uh, I think that's kind of when I only heard a, a second of it, but just, yeah, just more like, what are you going to do really there? If you're frustrated at a call or a miss, miss call or a play or whatever it is, is, um, there's lit- like literally nothing at that time. <laughs> like at least at halftime you can get teed up and we can get a free throw or something. But at that point, there's literally nothing that can happen except um, probably get fined if you use too bad a language. So um, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a hell of a player. I, I really like his game, but yeah, was, I think there was no point in him doing that at the end there. Cause obviously the game, regardless win or loss is, is over. Last question, Maxime Lagorgis, the free agent out of France. Uh, hi. Uh, I'm not talking about Rudy. No, okay, not problem. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to – how do you explain your difficulties to defend the 3.9 in first half? Our defense on the three-point line? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the key guy – obviously that shoots threes of them is, is buddy. And, and I think he's still got a few off tonight. Um, he, I think they said pre he leads the league in three point attempts in transition, which is hard to do because <laughs> most teams are pretty good at getting back in transition. So it's a, a tough thing to do. And obviously he leads that. So it's something we try to focus on and kind of getting back and, Obviously, you've got to contain Fox coming downhill, and then you've got to make sure you get out to to Buddy if he's he's kicking it out to him. So, um, yeah, I think we did a a good job. I don't know how many. I think he shot like thirteen. I don't know how many made, but I think we did a good job of making them tough on every shot that we that that they took. They they got a few open ones, but I think for the majority of the game, we were we were pretty good at either running them off the line or contesting them and, and making it a tougher shot than, than what it has to be. Joe Ingles, 6 of 11 from the field, 20 points, 5 of 10 from 3, had 6 assists and 3 rebounds and did not want to get into who said what to get everybody so fired up. But nonetheless, Joe was just a terrific game, and now the Jazz have won 24 consecutive games at home. They beat the Kings 128-112. to Up next, the Jazz take on the Wizards at Vivint Arena tonight. That game will tip off at 7. Pre-game begins at 6. There's the best of the post-game show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next. Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and BK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag Utah Jazz. O'Neal corner three. Royce missed another one. Conley taps the rebound up to Donovan at half court. Poor Royce. Donovan, crossover, step back, got it! Donovan to the front court. Donovan spider spins again. Ball fakes in at the rim, lays it up and in. Donovan has 32. He drives here, puts the right-hander up, no. Gets his own rebound, puts it back up and in. Some highlights as the Utah Jazz beat the Sacramento Kings Saturday night, 128-112. Donovan Mitchell, 42 points, and PK... Again with the second half. He had 12 at the half. The Jazz are down by six. 
So he came out and hit a couple of quick threes. The Jazz took a lead. It went back and forth, obviously, for a while. But he had a 30-point second half and a 42-point game. It is becoming a familiar script. He's played it other ways, but this is clearly how he's most comfortable doing it. Man, could you imagine if they had a third half, how good he'd be? Oh, freakish. What do you think, 50 point? 50 point? <laughs> Hockey style? Or we third halves? Three? Yeah, we have to go third period. Because yeah. the third period. half is like the fifth quarter. The what? Well, we also, we every year in college football, we have teams ranked 27th. Why not? <laughs> nice. Others receiving votes. You're not 27. <laughs> Royce O'Neal continues to struggle shooting the ball. You heard uh, David Locke in the highlights there. Two of six, 0 for two from three. So they played a half dozen games now this month. And he is now one for 21 from three this month. Law of numbers, PK. There must be a hot stretch coming. There must be a five for six looming out there somewhere. He's laboring, though. Looks like he might be injured. Yeah, I'm wondering if he already had his hot streak, though, because he was shooting the ball very well earlier. I don't know. We'll have to find out, and we will find out. Uh, He had a 47% month back in January. Then a 34. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and then a 34 in February, and back to 40.8, so 41% in March. So, riding the roller coaster a little bit, but that's where he sits right now. Where did the Jazz sit? Back at it tonight. The Washington Wizards are coming to town. This is a team that beat the Jazz in Washington a little less than a month ago. Jazz gave up uh, over 130 points that night. That was a rough one. Jazz get the Wizards tonight, and Jordan Clarkson is officially doubtful with the ankle. He'd be missing the third straight game. Mike Conley out with hamstring injury management. He's avoiding those back-to-backs, and they're going to play Oklahoma City tomorrow night. So... I guess by missing this one, usually he misses the back half PK, but by missing this one, he'll have two days off, play a game, and then two days off instead of one day off and then three days off. So I guess they're balancing that out. So who, who do you want to see tonight? I mean, obviously you'll be getting a big dose of me, Aoni. There'll be uh, more time for him to play, but somebody else will probably go into the rotation. Got any favorites? You want to see Ilya Silva or somebody else? Oh, you don't care. Run him out there. Well, and we're take just going to see first. I, no, no, man. I don't know that it's a big deal. I'm not sure I want to see Aoni for three. I think I'd rather. The ninth man or 10th man and 11th man, however you want to look at it, is going to determine who's going to win the game. All right, Jazz and Wizards tonight, 7 o'clock for the tip, 6 o'clock for the pregame. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Now Miles Bridges, he'll go in, dunks it on top of Clint Capella. Are you kidding me? Oh, no, he didn't. Miles going to give it to you. Now they got across the timeline here, chested into the front court to Bledsoe. The no-look to Zion and the flush with two hands. That couldn't have worked out better. George puts the head down momentarily, crossover down the middle of the lane, all the way to the room. Oh, Paul George, look out, a box office finish as he put it on the head of Isaiah Stork. DeRozan taking it left side, gets a screen from Derek White, takes it down toward the baseline, now step back long two, that shot is good for DeMar DeRozan with five tenths of a second remaining in the game. 
DeMar DeRozan, the game winner as the Spurs beat the Mavericks 119-117. Porzingis had a big game, 31-15, and and Doncic had a big big game and hit a big shot to tie it, but the Spurs get the win, and multiple. Three of the four Western Conference playoff teams playing yesterday got beat. The Mavericks lost. The Nuggets gave up a 31-3 run to the Boston Celtics. The Blazers got beat 107-98 by the Heat. Only the Clippers pulled through. Game was tied at 110 midway through the fourth quarter, and the Clippers pull away and beat the Pistons 131-124. So three of the four playoff teams in the West, hard to know who eight's going to be, but the top seven we can kind of figure out right now. And three of those four played, or three of the four played and three lost yesterday. Rough day for the best in the West. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, if you look at it that way, but those teams down there, that they just they scream a level of inconsistency. So is it really that surprising? I guess the Nuggets is the one because they have been, while well, they were very inconsistent, yeah. as you say, early on, uh, they made the trade. They've gone 17-3 mm-hmm. and three in their last 20, now 17-4 and four and 21, and a 31-3 to three run. I mean, there's lots of ways to lose games, and I think the way the Mavericks lost is probably pretty normal. The Blazers, I think, is probably most to your point about screaming inconsistency. But the Nuggets giving up a 31-3 run in the fourth quarter. Guys, that's a new one right there. Well, the Celtics are the I think they're the league's biggest enigma this season. Yeah, the most the best five hundred team out there. They're now two over. I think they've won four out of five. Maybe they've won five out of six, but it's something like that. It's one or the other. And so yeah, they were just a couple games down and now they're a couple games up. So Yes. No no one nobody who is that inconsistent is underachieving more. I'm kind of limited in the field there, but you get the point. Yeah, I do get the point because I think their talent would dictate that they would be way better than they are. Well, we've seen them win in a playoff series or two. They haven't made it to the finals, but they've been in the Eastern yeah, Finals a couple yeah. of times and and now there's you know that the big three, for lack of a better definition, in the East have broken away and can't figure out why them and and possibly Miami. I guess Miami's got some other issues, but why haven't they gone with the top three? Why are they lingering with the the rest of the conference? That makes no sense. They ought to be better than those teams. Right. And then I think exactly, the, yes. yeah, the game that really uh, probably impacted the Jazz the most, the one that we're most curious about here, Saturday night, the Lakers just blow the nets off the floor after Kyrie Irving gets ejected. Kyrie and uh, Schroeder both got a tee and kept yapping and kept talking and both got another tee, so they both got ejected. And after that, the Lakers, didn't, and Schroeder was playing all right, but having Kyrie out, that really helped because Durant's on a minutes restriction and hard. Harden isn't playing, and the Nets fall apart, and the Lakers win big, and so the Lakers are now two games in front of the Blazers. I mean, they could still fall to six PK, but it looks like the Lakers, uh, the what was Jordan's term? My Jordan was it his supporting cast? Was that the thing he used? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So LeBron yes. and AD supporting cast is going to hold it together well enough to stay in that four five series. I don't know that they can get back to three, but. They're looming as a potential second-round opponent for the Jazz. Four looks like it'll be either the Clippers or the Nuggets. So the Lakers play the Clippers or Nuggets in the first round, and assuming the Jazz hold the top spot, which looks like they probably will right now. Mathematically, it's not certainly not locked up, but they probably will. So there's the Jazz second-round opponent. The Lakers play either the Clippers or the Nuggets, and the Jazz get the other team in the second round, get the winner of those three in the second round. 
Uh, I'm just for the record. I'm thoroughly confused now. On March 11th, <laughs> on April 11th, you dictated the playoff. So there it no is. No offense, but I didn't follow any of that. <laughs> uh, James Wiseman, the Warriors rookie, meniscus tear, right knee. He might be out for the rest of the season. He was the number two pick. And the Minnesota Timberwolves may be getting a new owner. Glenn Taylor has owned him for a while, but looks like he's selling to uh, billionaire Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez, the former Yankee star. Purchase price in the $1.5 billion range. Taylor will continue to hold full control uh, for two years before uh, given relinquishing control in 2023. So... The T-Wolf. Which I don't understand how that works. Yeah, I don't get why it's delayed, other than maybe Rodriguez and Laurie need that long to come up with all the money. So he holds it until they all have all the money. Maybe the payments are stretched out. They didn't really go into it, so I'm with you. I don't know for sure, but you've told me it's all about the money long enough for me to assume, well, this is all about the money, too. And, and A-Rod had some quotes when they were going to okay. buy the Mets. I saw a story about this, about how they viewed it not just as a baseball team, but basically this whole holding company and do what the Red Sox do and buy multiple businesses. And All right, well, we'll see how that goes. Well, I think the big story here, obviously, Alex Rodriguez being involved in it, but he has deep Seattle ties. Supersonics coming back. That's certainly a potential story out there. Taylor's saying the team is going to stay put, but, you know, that's the kind of say, thing you say right up until the time you move them. So, it's worth the paper it's uh, written on. But, yeah. yeah, in 2024, whatever, going forward, he would have no say. Right. And so, down the line, is that going to happen? Yeah, I mean, the Jazz were put into a trust that would keep the Jazz and the Miller family in perpetuity. Except it didn't. Until it got sold a few years later. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll keep our eye on that. And, you know, the NBA's talked expansion. Seattle has been mentioned with a bunch of other cities. I think Vegas most prominently among the other cities, but a bunch of other cities. Going back to Vancouver, potentially. Yeah, that's been thrown out there. All right, DJ and PK. As we saw the NFL, you can go to Jacksonville if the money's right. Who saw that coming, right? And then there was an owner with the money, and the NFL went to Jacksonville. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Being somewhere in the atmosphere and environment, knowing where the team knows you, they know your history, they know, you know, what, how you are, how to use you and stuff like that. So, you know, coming back and knowing that I would have Ben back for a uh, warmer year and, you know, playing, you know, my last year, it was just like, yo, I'm going to take my chance. I'm going to play with Ben. Juju Smith-Schuster on why he's staying with the Steelers. He's going to play with Ben. Ben's back for one year, so Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be with him. It's a lot of doom and gloom around the Steelers, and because of the end of the season and the way it finished, I kind of get that. But they were 11-0. They were doing something right. A little bit of a mirage and a paper tiger at the end of the year, so see how much they can upgrade and see how much they can uh, fix all that. It's a, uh, it's a good division right now. Okay. Deshaun Watson's lawyer, Rusty Harden, acknowledged during the Friday news conference there were some mutual consensual encounters between Harden, Texans quarterback, and some of the 22 women who have filed lawsuits against him. But he also said at no point did Watson engage in any acts that were not mutually desired. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this needs to be adjudicated. I mean, I don't, that's not anything that I would do or you would do or most of our listeners would do, would 
do that with that many ladies. But you got to get the law involved here. What is against the law? What isn't against the law? It's not the law isn't necessarily about morals. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And it, it seems like there's two tracks here. One is uh, hint at using the law, but really be angling for a settlement or settlements, depending on how you look at it, whether you did one settlement with 22 people or 22 separate settlements, whatever it is. Uh, because this is certainly played out in a way that seems structured for maximum embarrassment. And to your point, the law, eh, not a whole lot of maximum embarrassment involved there. Two judges ruled Friday that most of the plaintiffs suing Watson must identify themselves. Uh, the rulings from two hearings Friday cover 13 of the 22 lawsuits. I have no idea why not 22 of the 22 lawsuits, or why not one of the 22, but it's 13 of the 22. Now, to your point, get the law involved and what happened and are there any witnesses? Uh, is there any other evidence? You know, it, uh, I guess the thing we found out with the uh, Patriots owner and, and his deal, you know, there's surveillance videos sometimes. And what is that going to tell you? So you got to get to the bottom of all that. Or is this all going to be played out in the public court of public opinion with Watson losing sponsors and not having the trade leverage that we were talking about earlier in the offseason because really the angle is to get a bunch of settlements and I'm not clear which way this is going to go me either DJ and PK hashtag major league baseball deep side delivers here's a swing and a fly ball into right center field and deep going back as Buxton looking up and this one is gone. Goodbye baseball. Kyle Seager with a three-run home run. Pitch to J.D. And that is a hanging breaking ball ripped deep to right field. Does this have enough? Back on it is Santander. Gone. J.D. Martinez. A second home run today. No balls in one strike. The big right-hander ready and delivers. Swing and a ground ball to shortstop. Kim has it. Friendly hop. Throw to first. That is a no-hitter, and that is history. Joe Musgrove with the first no-hitter in Padre history. April 9th, 2021 at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas. The kid comes home, and he gets it done. So highlights from Sunday's action and then the no-hitter Friday night. The Padres, 53 years without a no-hitter. They get the first one in franchise history. And they get it from a guy who grew up going to Padre games from suburban El Cajon. And his dad was a ticket holder. And so local boy makes good. The only team that didn't have a no-no. Multiple teams coming in the leagues either with the Padres or since the Padres. And they all had it. Your Diamondbacks had it, PK. The Jays and the Mariners had it. The Rockies had it. Everybody. Tampa Bay. Finally, they got the no-no. We get the point. Uh, I'm, I'm happy for you. The kid comes home and goes to Texas. I didn't quite understand that one. But uh, hmm. great. Now, you gotta, it's about what you do in the postseason. That, that's just an oddity. No hitters to an extent are an oddity. There's been plenty of guys who are no-name guys who've thrown no hitters. Helped get the Padres off to a 7-3 and three start. Well, after 10 games, they're 7-3. They've now played their 11th game. But it got them off to a 7-3 and three start, which, to your point, what are you going to do in the postseason? Only two teams have been off to better starts, and it's the two teams that ended up going to the World Series. So people are hoping that's a sign, but there's 150-whatever games still to go. J.D. Martinez highlights. Do you just play that as a former Diamondback yacht? Are you just playing that so P.K. can uh, you try and like twist a knife or something? What are you doing Multi-homer there? game. Come on. Yeah, okay. All right. He had three, didn't he? 
I believe so, yeah. And they won their sixth straight after that yeah. season-opening sweep against yeah. the O's. Boston had the terrible start. Mm-hmm. Now they're crushing it. 14-9 to over the Orioles. Yeah. Clayton Kershaw, money. Six shutout innings. He gets the win. He's 2-1. and one. Dodgers beat the Nationals. Three-zip. It's about what you do in the postseason, and Kershaw has his ring. You saw the video of that, uh, holding the ring up to the crowd and all that. And uh, now can the Dodgers do it again? Now off to a nice start here, and yes. he's doing his part. Yes, they can do it again. DJ and PK. Line this up, make it roll, and he should make it. It's okay. <laughs> right down to the wire. Who predicted that by one? Matsuyama is Japan's first Masters champion. Hideki Matsuyama opened the final round with a four-shot lead thanks to the way he just scorched the back nine on Saturday. A bunch of birdies to build that lead up. Stretched the lead to six at one point and ended up holding on to win by one. The back nine at Augusta demands drama, PK, and it got its drama through 14, 15, and 16. Oh, I don't know about that, man. I, I, that was little drama there. I'll give you that. I but think it was, it was Matsuyama. Okay, but it wasn't. That's I don't know that it was big-time drama because I think Matsuyama, was, he had the lead in the number of holes, so he's playing from a defensive standpoint. You look at 12, he, the announcers are talking about, oh, just hit a long in that back trap and you don't have to worry about the water and a high score. And that's exactly what he did. And then Shoffley had to be more aggressive, so he couldn't afford to do that. So it was sort of drama at best. The drama all ended when Shoffley dumped it in the water at 16. Just a yard or two short, but it, yeah. caught, it caught the face of that uh, green there, and it's all sloped to the water, and he was doomed doomed by gravity at that point. I thought the, 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 the most dramatic swing was after Matsuyama dumped it in the water. I actually tweeted out uh, Bob and, and Bob Casper will join us coming up at 8.30. Bob was uh, tweeting out about the big lead, and that should pretty much do it, but it's the back nine, you never know, and I'm like, you can drop it in Race Creek and still win with that lead. But if you do it twice, and so when he was coming out of the water and he took his drop and did the two club lengths thing, they, well, if he sends it over the green back into the water, then he's in trouble. But, man, he walked up. He looked at that the rough in front of the – well, in back of the green, but it was in front from where he was hitting. And he decided, yep, I'm just going to drop it here and I'm going to chip twice. I am not going anywhere near that water. So that was the most defensive swing to avoid the – yeah. The second penalty that would have really put the heat on him. Right. That's, that's what I'm saying. It, and, and he won the thing, so that's all that matters. matters. Right. Yeah. Uh, you got the green jacket. Yeah. Who and so he wo- yeah. Right. So it doesn't really matter by, you know, one is plenty, really, when you think about <laughs> it. It would have added more drama. And then I think the significant thing is he becomes the first uh, Japanese player, although I believe that that was only a matter of time. Yeah, it was a matter of time, and who was it going to be? Um, and and Jim Nance listed a bunch of guys who've come over from Japan and had success on the PGA Tour to one level or another, but now Matsuyama's had it to a level that nobody else had. He's won a major. And when you're a major champion, that sets you apart. You get one of them, and every time Mike Weir comes on the air, and he unfortunately missed the cut at the Masters this time, but every time, and we, we don't refer to whatever cuts he's missed or whatever 7th or 17th place finish, it's... Masters champ, Mike Ware. 
You get to wear the green jacket that afternoon, and you get to wear that title forever. Now, I wonder next year, will they have Japanese food for the dinner? Oh, he'll get to uh, pick the menu. We'll find out what his favorite favorite foods are. As a, as a golfer, I assume he's traveled the world. I know he's won on the tour in Japan and in the U.S. I Probably he's played in Europe and all that stuff, or Australia or wherever. Who knows what it will be, PK? We'll find out in a year. Tony Finau finished tied for 10th place at 3-under. Not really a factor. Had a few uh, cool shots, but uh, a lot of the field got eliminated Saturday afternoon when uh, Matsuyama started making birdies on the back nine. He, he pulled away and didn't leave many guys much hope. What is Trending brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. No job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. All right, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider at 9 o'clock. Bob Casper, Real Golf Radio at 8.30 to recap the Masters. And the question of the day coming up next. It's all about Donovan Mitchell as he slowly regains the form that, dare I say it? Oh, I will. Next, DJ and PK, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Jazz general manager Justin Zanuck. As the trade deadline approached, was there anything going on with the Jazz, or did you sit back like Fonz looking at himself in the mirror? I like what I see. Gordon, did you just call me the Fonz? <laughs> <laughs> He's like 80 now, right? I'll go back and watch it. Um, given the results, two-thirds into the season of being very good. Also, given a large part of our assets are wrapped up in the highest performing players on our team, and anybody that would be available would maybe require disruption of that core group when that continuity is valuable going into the playoffs and coach has done a good job of developing our depth that we feel really good about the group that we have catch the big show weekdays from two to seven presented by big old tires the team you trust on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network hot takes or toast is brought to you by jerry signer cadillac cadillac owners may have changed but luxury has not come see the bold new lineup of cadillac at jerry signer cadillac today Question of the day, how about the run Donovan Mitchell is on? Mitchell coming off a 42-point performance against Sacramento. His last three games, he has averaged 40 points. For the month, he's averaging 30. His scoring average just keeps climbing here, PK. He was averaging about half of this in those four games they played in December as the season started, and it climbs. 23 points, 27 points, 29 points. Now he's averaging 30, almost 31 points a game. Are we getting back to Bubble Donovan? Yeah, I don't know about that, but I don't care about that. I care about the way he's playing right now, and he is rocking it. In my mind, he is first-team All-NBA. Top five. Who else is with him? Who are we squeezing off the list? Uh, well, I'm not squeezing anybody off the list. I'm putting guys on it. You have to earn it. I'm not that. There's nobody who's already earned it. So why would it, why would I do that? That that line of thinking doesn't make any sense to me. That's assuming that somebody's already on it and somebody's already ahead of him. And so I have to take somebody off to replace that person with him. No, no, not at all. No, who's joining him on the team, first team All-NBA? Not, 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 not that way. Sorry, I'm not going down that road at all. 
Uh, I can come up with guys, but my line of thinking is who's joining him on the team, not who am I squeezing somebody out to make him a replacement player. This is not Devin Booker or uh, Mike Conley who get replacement player all-star invitations. Not at all. No way. You just insulted me and Donovan, and I'm not going to take that. LeBron. What about LeBron? Is he top five? All, there's two different things. Is he? I'm, you can be top five and not be all NBA. So obviously LeBron is always going to be until he retires, most likely. But depending on how long he misses, that could b- basically disqualify him for all NBA this year. First team all NBA anyway. I have to see when he comes back. There was a report over the weekend that Davis is back in two weeks and LeBron is back in three weeks. Well, that's a report. Until he gets out on the floor, if he misses two months out of a 72-game season, is that first-team All-NBA? Is he top-five player in the league? Absolutely. But is he first-team All-NBA if he misses two months of the season? That's highly debatable. Yeah, Durant is not going to be first-team All-NBA, I think, because he's going to miss too many games. Uh, He's not even close. Yeah, Harden remains to be seen. If he plays enough games, you know, how long is he out with the hamstring? If he plays enough games, then I think – Harden and Antetokounmpo are uh, are going to be easy choices. They're going to make the they're going to make the All NBA team first team pretty easily. There's got to be a premium on winning because as much as this run with Mitchell, the stats are awesome. He's shooting nearly fifty percent. The thing is, he's doing this forty point a game over the last three games. He hasn't shot the three well in this stretch. He's uh, Eight of thirty-two, twenty-five percent. But he is getting to the uh, he's getting to the rim. It's it seems like it's easy, and and he's getting to the free throw line a ton. And that's a combination of well, you're driving it, so you're more likely to get fouled, and then you're getting the calls from the refs because we've all seen no calls that make us scratch our heads, and uh, guys getting there on ticky tack stuff. And so he shot thirty-two free throws in these games. So averaging ten a game, you're getting into James Harden lead the league territory. You know, in his MVP glory days in Houston. Oh yeah, and they're winning. It's about time that Mitchell and even Gobert get the recognition. And offense drives the league. Uh, offense is the highlights. You know, occasionally they show some defensive highlights. And Mitchell's offensive game is highly prolific right now. And he's playing with such confidence. His whole body language and everything else, just his demeanor about him, screams to me, first team, all NBA. And winning is about what's the most important in this league. Stats are nice, and you got to have the stats. But the stats on losing teams or the stats on average teams aren't nearly as impressive as the stats on winning teams. And the team that has the best record in the league deserves that type of recognition. Not some, uh, well, well you know, we'll put you in at the end there. We, we, can put, we can put names on it. Doncic and Damian Lillard. They have awesome reputations. They have awesome stats. But their teams are 6th and 7th in the West. And are the voters going to reward that? Or are they going to look at a guy who's in the team who's got the best record in the NBA? Right. Yeah. So, and, and, and I, you don't discount those guys by any stretch. No one is saying those yeah. players are not excellent players because they are. That's not the point. The point is you need to elevate the teams that are winning and the players that are the major factors as to why they're winning, particularly if you finish with the best record in the league. 
See, the Joker's going to be first team All NBA, isn't he? Kawhi Leonard. I put the the Yoke Man. I put the Yoke Man on there. Yeah. Yeah, the Yoke Man's my center. Uh, he does so much. So the Yoke Man is my center. I'd probably go with uh, Ante Dukumbo. Uh, and, uh, you know, depending on how long Harden is out, uh, you got to allow for some injury timeout. Yeah, you so don't to have speak. to play all 72. No. So, uh, you know, I, I haven't really thought about who else I would put on there because it's not like I have to justify putting Donovan Mitchell on the team. I, to me, he absolutely is right now best guard in the NBA. Anthony Davis was first-team All-NBA last year, but I think he's missed enough games. That's not happening this year. Oh, I know he's missed Doncic enough games. Doncic was uh, first-team All-NBA last year. Yeah, but I don't get why you're doing this, though. Why well, you're like you having he first-team All-NBA. Because you have to ju- you're justifying Mitchell's inclusion on the team. No, justify the other people's inclusions, not Mitchell's inclusions. You're say, What you're saying, DJ, is that, well, if those other guys were healthy, they would be on and Mitchell wouldn't be. Why? Because I don't think people have that much respect for Mitchell or the Jazz. I mean, let's, let's just cut to the chase. I don't uh, think they have well, that much respect. Big deal. We're not talking about other people. We're talking about me and you. And we're homers. No, I'm not. <laughs> well, unless you can justify putting him on the uh, first team versus these other guys, that's the label you're going to wear, whether you think oh, it and well, I think it or not. I, who cares, man? I've worn five million labels. I'm this, I'm that. <laughs> if I worried about what people thought me of me, I would have been crawling under a, a table a long time ago. I mean, that doesn't matter. I'm not going to, I don't, that's the point I'm making. I don't have to justify Donovan Mitchell being first team NBA. No, no, they have to justify. You have to justify to me why he isn't. He's the most prolific player on the best team in the league. That always, always gets you that type of recognition. And now somehow we have to justify it. Honestly, that is that what you just said is usually my default go-to, whether it's uh, NFL, NBA, or Major League Baseball, the default go-to for how do you pick the MVP. You start with best player, best team, and then you work from there. Who's got a, who's got a better case than that? Because that's the easiest case to have. I mean, the most valuable player is a player who does the most for the team that wins the most. That's what makes you valuable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not perfect because of basketball and the positions, right. but when mm-hmm. you say he's all NBA, you're saying, wait, he's not going to be top five in the MVP voting? Not convinced he is. Now, this is the kind of run, because it's what you said earlier, no matter what you do for winning points, and especially points scored in spectacular fashion, that can be pressure, you know, game winners and that kind of stuff, or 50-point games. These 40- and 50-point games, they catch people's attention. You know, be the leading scorer in the league, and you're. It'd be interesting to go back and look it up. But the leading scorer in the league, what do you figure? Half the time they've been the MVP, ballpark. Uh, I I don't know. I never really thought about that. Yeah, I mean, score it. You're. I think you're spot on with the offensive numbers. And uh, there's nothing wrong with being a 20 point a game guy. You're a pretty good player if you're a 20 point a game guy, and your team wins a lot more than it loses. 
Um, but he's going way past that now. Uh, we'll see how long he sustains this uh, 30 points a game pace. I wouldn't think he can sustain this 40-point a game pace that he's done for the last the last three games. And, and two of the last three have been playoff teams. So it's not like he's just hanging this on the worst teams in the league. The three games are Suns, Blazers, Kings. So I mean, the Suns and Blazers are well into the postseason. The Kings, it's kind of funky with this new 10-team deal, but they're 12th, and I don't think any of us think they're going to get to 10th, but we'll see. Yeah, I think it's time we just acknowledge he's better than Jordan. There it is. Homer, wear the label. <laughs> no, that's Eddie Jordan, of course. Oh, nice save. Nice, <laughs> Eddie Jordan. Hadn't thought of Eddie Jordan in a couple decades. <laughs> and I'm not even sure who Eddie Jordan is. I just remember that name from somewhere. Yeah, he played. I, I think he played for the Lakers. I think he was. Uh, oh, okay, that's probably where I learned it. Yeah, yeah. I think he was um, uh, probably played a year or two with Magic, and then well, oh, he's going to be okay. the core in the future of the franchise. And yeah, three years bouncing around eighth place. And how about we make Kobe and Shaq the future of the franchise? New plan. Right. He was a nice. It was player. back there. In the recesses of my mind, but I couldn't have way told to, you the first thing well, about Eddie Jordan. Way to grab the broom, hit the cobwebs, and uh, pull that baby out. Good work. I know nothing about him. I just remember hearing the name. I just think Mitchell is playing at an elite level now, and it needs to be acknowledged. It's not about uh, what some voter in Connecticut thinks. I don't really care what he thinks. Well, our listeners are weighing in on Facebook. And Tony says, uh, "How about the in answer to that, the, how about the run Donovan Mitchell is on?" Tony says, "Imagine how good he could be if he could start the first half like he plays the second half." <laughs> okay, so now he's got these thirty point second half. So now he's going to go for sixty. Uh, well, I, the, the thing that, that that they need to go for is the victory. And so the formula is working, and he's had he's had a few games of late where it hasn't just been exclusively second half. And, and in the final analysis, nothing matters except winning uh, as far as the team goes, obviously. The point made, winning at the level that they're winning, there needs to be some individual acknowledgement. Magic used to talk about that a lot. And all the great ones do that if you want all the personal accolades, then win. Because they have the winning that goes along with it. If you just have personal accolades at the expense of winning, then it's meaningless. And it's about you, especially in a league where you can compile a bunch of stats that don't connect or relate to winning. You know, in, in like baseball, Trout can put up these great numbers. His team hasn't won, but there's really nothing he can do about it. It's not like he can make pool host be the pool host of when he was with the Cardinals or whomever it might be. Yeah, I'm just using their, that as an example. You can't make so, their pitching better. Right. Right. And that's a huge component of winning in baseball is pitching, right? He, there's, I mean, he can, he can help it with his uh, scintillating play defensively, but not enough to make a huge, huge difference. So you look around that in terms of, well, the team hasn't won, but he's just an unbelievable player. All the statistics tell you all this, that he is an all-timer statistically. So we accept that a little bit easier. 
right? Probably a lot easier in that particular sport. And then in football, we just normally go to the quarterback since they revamped the rules and all who's throwing for 8 trillion yards and 107 touchdowns and two picks and boom, they get those awards. So we, we go in that direction too. But in basketball, you know, that's the good thing about it is winning in, in this particular sport, winning there's a high level of importance placed on it relative to the individual awards. And that's the way this should be. So all those players, those great hall of famers who've won multiple titles, well, they have the stats and the stats amplify by winning. So now is the, is everyone paying attention or the reputations uh, to cast in stone and they're going to be slow to catch up to it. That's the question. I well, they're ignorant if that's the case. Right, right. But every year there's controversy with this kind of stuff. It gets overshadowed a little bit because by the time this comes out, the attention starts to turn to the playoffs and, uh, you know, you get into, into the winning there. You know, the, to the point about Donovan's first half and all that, I think just to use the most recent game as the example, 12 in the first half, 30 in the second half, and the Jazz are trailing at halftime. Well, why doesn't he play in the first half like he does in the second? Well, hey, no one's going to sustain that. You've got to get your other teammates involved. And they weren't losing because of a lack of offense. You know, the offensive end of the floor, they had 59 points, and that ought to be enough. But they gave up 65. The problem in the first half was the defense. And they won in part because Donovan went for 30 in the second half, but they gave up a lot fewer points in the second half. You know, and instead of giving up these 30 and 32 and 34-point quarters, you know, they gave up 24 in the third. Well, that and the fact that Donovan came out firing and, and hitting a couple of threes and he got rolling, if you're giving up 24 at the other end, you're going to take the lead, and they did. So I think if we're going to discuss what's going wrong in the first half, it's not Donovan having 12 points. It's, he gave up 65 points to the Kings. That's not going to get it done. Yeah, but the Kings weren't going to sustain that, so that, that didn't worry me at all. That's not who they are. They were not going to hit those shots. They didn't hit those shots in the second half. They were putting up air balls from the corner. Once the things got tight, they folded like a cheap whatever, fill in the blank. All the great writers, that's how they write. Suit. Cheap suit? Suits? I don't know. I don't even own a suit, so I don't know anything about suits. Donovan Mitchell on a tear, 40 points over the – he's averaging 40 points over the last three games. The season average is up to 26 points a game now. He's top 10 in the league in scoring. But some of the people in front of him aren't winning. I mean, Bradley Beal's leading the league, but the Wizards are going where, PK? Nowhere. Home? Yeah. (laughs) They got – He's, he's just a shade under 31 points a game, but they are riding right now. They are 11th in the East, so thanks for that. And and it's, I think it's important to note that that's nothing against the Bradley Beals of the world. He doesn't have enough help, so this is what he has to do. And, and, and I know some people, like, if you make an argument against Donovan Mitchell, well, you take a James Harden and a, a Luka Doncic, you know, they're putting up enormous assist numbers. Okay, they are. Absolutely. The ball is in their hands a lot more. I think if assists mattered to where Mitchell needed to get them for the team to win, he would do that. And so his role isn't necessarily to have high assist numbers. His role is to score. He can have assist numbers, 
Jets too. What what makes him even more critical is they have few players that can break you down. And he obviously is one of them. And and Clarkson with his dribbling and doing all the stuff that he does, he can do it. And Conley to an extent can do it. But outside of that, they don't have guys that can break you down. So they need to move the ball. And Bogdanovich can do it a little bit. Ball on the floor. The point I'm making is what the Jazz are asking Mitchell to do, he's doing. If they asked him, this is my own opinion, I haven't necessarily seen it in big numbers, but if they were to ask him, Donovan, we need you to really distribute more and get those assist numbers up to 8, 9, 10, I think he could do it. But they're not asking him to do that because what they have All right, well, we've lost PK, but you get the point of where he was going. The way the team is built, his five assists a game, it's working. That's why they're the first team in the NBA to 40 wins. And so to what degree are they going to get rewarded for all that winning when it comes to these individual honors? All right, DJ and PK, stay with us. More on the Jazz coming up. Bob Casper, Real Golf Radio, to talk about the Masters at 8.30. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider at 9 o'clock. Right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Bob Casper of Real Golf Radio. Is it allowed for a caddy to give his player like a shoulder ride or a piggyback ride from hole to hole? <laughs> they're not linebackers. They're not, they're not going to give their caddy. <laughs> Bob Casper's probably given thousands of interviews, and today he was asked if a caddy can give his golfer a piggyback ride. You try to give somebody a piggyback through Augusta. Are you kidding me? All the hills up and down? While carrying their bag? While carrying their bag. You got their bag and them? Imagine if it's El Pato. (laughs) Oh, eat more beefs, Larry. Like, I can't go another step. Either can I, beefs. I'm crying over here. Either can I. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Spring LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Donovan Mitchell coming off 42 points against the Kings. He's averaging 40 points the last three games. He's averaging over 30 this month. He's into the top 10 scorers in the league now, 26 points a game. He is lighting it up. And the Jazz are the first team in the NBA to 40 wins. They've got the best record. They're on a 60-win pace. Actually, a little better than that, probably 61 or 62 wins if you're playing a full 82-game win or a full 82-game season. They're the only team on that pace right now, the only team that would break 60 wins. It's all lining up, PK. Your best player is playing his best basketball. You got the best record. Is there anything else you crave? Or just bring the playoffs on now? In the regular season, no. Just bring them on now. I've seen what I need to see. Let's go. Which, of course, can't happen. Yeah, and even if they were to flame out in the postseason, that has nothing to do with first-team All-NBA. 
It's a regular season award. It is, completely. Do you want to predict he'll get it or just that he should get it? Because you know that reputation... Well, it's right now. Yeah, reputation sometimes lags behind the recognition for what you're doing. Uh, yeah, but what type of rep does he have, though? Has he established his rep to that level? To the first team level? No, I don't think he has. Now, will 19 more games, if he sustains this for 19 more games, will that do it? Uh, it will, could. I mean, as we discussed in the last segment, there are guys who have the first team reps established, but depending on how many games they miss, uh, we've seen guys, you know, taken out of the running for individual awards. LeBron's was, you know, and he was an Iron Man right up until the time he wasn't. Played 41 games. Uh, I think he missed a couple, but now the missed games are piling up. And if he misses three more weeks and everybody's playing about four games a week, that's it's going to be quite a few missed games there. You know, if he if he if he ends up playing, who was it, first team All NBA last year? Uh, I will get that short for you shortly. But LeBron was Ante Tekempo, uh, Doncic. Okay, so Doncic. You know, Kawhi had, wasn't. Had Kawhi more was more of a rep. Yeah, Doncic did have more of Go a ahead. rep. Yeah, um, more. He had more of a rep. I don't think he did. <clears throat> you don't think so? He just crashed in and got it with his uh, his big second year. It was. Uh, he had more of a rep after one year than Mitchell has after three, going on four with the best team in the league. I don't buy it. LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Anthony Davis, James Harden, Luka Doncic. Luka was making his first appearance on uh, on the All NBA team there, and let's see, four for Antetokounmpo and Davis, seven for Harden, and sixteen for LeBron. What rep did Doncic have? Well, a rep that he built overnight in a year. I mean, basically, you're the next. You're the European Magic. I mean, I don't know that you can have another Magic Johnson. What he did for the league, not just his team, but what he did for the league, the time he did it, it was, dare I say, magical. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll show myself out. Okay, um, but, so you're another Dwayne Wade. And- ooh, Dwayne Wade. That's interesting. Another Dwayne Wade. Um, you know, I think, well, you, it's hard to compare a guy whose career is in the books with a guy who's just getting started. Um, but, yeah, it's... You know, is Mitchell going to be Dwayne Wade? Is Donovan or is Luka Doncic going to be more than D Wade? You know, where are these guys headed? No, you can compare. I'm comparing Mitchell to Wade, right. Doncic to Magic, mm-hmm. not Doncic to Dwayne, Dwayne Wade. Wade. So I don't think that Doncic had more of a rep when he was named first team All NBA than Mitchell has right now. Jokic was a second-teamer last year. It seems clear, I think, to all of us that he's going to be first-team this year. Oh, okay. I thought you said he was first-team last year. He was second-team last year, but I think he'll be first-team this year. He was first-team two years ago. He's been on it, so he's kind of, you know, his rep, he's not locked into first-team, you know, career-wise. Um But he's getting there. <laughs> he's about to lock himself in if he keeps this up. <laughs> and he's a great, great player. But on his team, see, that's the point I was making before. They're asking him 
to do more because they have less talent. So his stats are going to be gaudier because they need him to do that in order for them to win. They basically have poor Zingas when he's healthy and then a bunch of high-level role players. Just not a bunch, but you know, like a Hardaway is a, is a decent role player. Not necessarily a high-level role player. When he gets hot, like he did against the, the Jazz uh, a couple of weeks ago, he did his thing. So I think that's what you've got there. And the Jazz don't need Mitchell to do all the things that Doncic does because they got better players. So how much will they reward those individual stats and how much will they reward the winning? Well, if they got a brain, they'll acknowledge <laughs> Mitchell, first-team All-NBA. Uh, Rudy Gobert has gotten the All-NBA recognition, uh, second-team once and third-team a couple of times. Uh, but for Donovan Mitchell, well, he hasn't gotten any of that, so that, w- that goes back to the point about your rep and, and how fast can you grow that rep. Uh, and he, he's grown it. He, he has grown it. He's taken off. He's playing at a much higher level than he has been at any point, uh, excluding that little bubble experiment thing. And that was just a few games. And here's a, an almost, almost an entire season minus the 10 games, but it's still plenty. The sample size is overwhelming. 72 games is plenty, plenty enough amount of games to make judgments on who's good and who deserves what and so forth. It's not like they're playing one year. They played 50. That's probably enough too. But this year, just only playing 72 to me, that's almost the same thing as playing 82 as far as I'm concerned. So there's plenty of evidence. And I think Gobert, he's slotted to be a third-team guy because you got the yoke man in Denver, and then Embiid runs his mouth enough, and he's in Philly. They've been winning, and his stats are huge. And it looks like they're going to finish first or second in the East. So Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, more on the NBA and the Jazz, and also Bob Casper, Real Golf Radio. We'll get a Masters recap with him and the Utes. One week to go in spring football. Kyle Whittingham, we played him for you earlier this morning, reacting to the scrimmage, predictably predictably positive and upbeat about the quarterback development, PK. Predictably. Get to all that coming up. DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK brought to you apart by SNS Roofing. Their huge winter and spring sales event is going on now. You can save thousands on a new roof. Call pound 250 and say SNS Roofing for your free bid. All right, the Utes with a scrimmage this weekend, and we can't see it. Closed doors and all that kind of stuff. Um, but Kyle afterwards saying all the quarterbacks took a step forward. It's kind of the thing you need to say. Uh, but he, again, pumped up Charlie Brewer and PK. Just words or this is going to be different. He's got a guy who started a lot of games and aired it out in the Big 12, and he's going to cut him loose. It's going to be different. They're going to push the ball down the field. Maybe to their tight ends, not their wide receivers, but whatever, as long as you're pushing the ball down the field and making plays. Or this is all talk in the spring. Kyle's scarred by the two five and seven seasons. And, you know, losing a UCLA game where they threw six interceptions and lost 34-27. Coulda, woulda, shoulda won that game. Didn't have to have his job on the line. And that was a lot of tension and a lot of agony for two and a half seasons until they beat the Trojans and got to 6-1 and one and he could scream, two words, two words, bowl eligible. Inside he was probably thinking two more words, contract extension. 
And when it's your job on the line, who can blame you? So when he's talking about Brewer, is he actually, is it actually going to be different this year? Well, if you're going on contract situation, then yes. The answer is absolutely yes. He doesn't have to worry about being fired. He'll be 62 this season, and I don't think Harlan is going to run him at this point. I think he retires as a Ute, and he goes on into that contract and all the stuff that he has. Mm -hmm. So if you're worried about a contract extension, then that's an issue. But I don't think he's worried about a contract extension. He already has that. His contract will run him through like uh, 66, 67. I don't believe he'll be coaching at that point. But so if you bring up, well, you can't blame him because he was two five and sevens and he was on the verge of another losing season of three in a row and getting fired. I don't disagree with that, but that is a long time ago now. And that doesn't play to the current situation. He has no fear of losing his job unless he goes completely and totally out of his character, which at this point at 61 you, years of you age, would bet against. Themselves. <laughs> you would bet against that. Exactly. Yes. So here's the thing with Brewer. If you go back and look at his stats and, you know, all the yards and all that at Baylor last year, and I I didn't watch all the games I'd have to go back and watch the film, but 14 touchdowns and eight interceptions in nine games. Can Kyle live with one interception per game? 14 TDs and eight interceptions doesn't sound that crazy. It's not that great a touchdown interception ratio, but one interception per game on average I'm thinking Kyle can live with that. He is very positive about this kid. So, and he's not really a kid now. He's, you know, in his 20s and all that. But he's very positive about this quarterback. So, I'm thinking maybe there's a chance, and I may be the fool. It may be Lucy and pull the football away, and I will end up on my back again. But he, it sounds like he wants to cut Charlie Brewer loose. He may not bring himself to be able to do it when the stadiums are full or half full or whatever they're going to be. I should probably stay away from that cliche. But whatever, when there's fans in the stands and the lights are on, you know, in Game 7, what's he going to do? But he's sounding so positive about him. It sounds like and, – and there's a track record with this guy. It sounds like he can cut him loose. Eight interceptions in nine games, that shouldn't sink you. It gives you a chance to make big plays. It's when you start – you know, the three and four turnovers is when you're – that's when you're toast. Well, Baylor didn't have a very good team last year, if I remember. And you said you'd have to go back and look at the games. You didn't watch them all. I didn't watch them any. So I don't know that I watched one second of Baylor football last year. <laughs> so I, I know nothing about him from a firsthand live standpoint of watching him on television. Absolutely zero. Uh, they had changed coaches, obviously. Mm-hmm. Their coach went over to Carolina in the NFL. So I think that's part of the reason why he's leaving. And I don't think that Kyle has to turn Charlie Brewer loose. I think he has to turn Andy Ludwig loose because Andy yeah. Ludwig is the one who calls the yep. plays. Yep. That is, that is the progression that will work. You're right. That is how that works. Now, so if you go before the coaching change, now you're looking at 21 touchdowns and seven picks in 14 games. He's only throwing a pick every other game. And, and they're airing it out. I mean, he threw the ball almost 400 times that year. So yes. it's like, man, if, if, if you can't, you know, I don't even know if I want him to change who he is. You know, I mean, we, the whole recency bias, we know what we've seen the last two, three, four, five years, whatever you want to go. Really, I go back to what we've seen since they went five and seven. But if you go back to the early days as a head coach, they weren't that conservative. They threw the ball with Brian Johnson, but he trusted Brian to throw the ball down the field and make plays and not turn it over. And he's had a line of quarterbacks and backup quarterbacks who 
he didn't trust at that level. Nor, nor should he have. They weren't as good as Brian Johnson, and I don't think they're as good as Charlie Brewer. Yeah, I don't know that it was Brian Johnson. I think it was the fact that their talent in the Mountain West was far superior to the Mountain West talent that they were playing. Mm -hmm. And now their talent isn't necessarily far superior. So they had a defense when Brian Johnson was a senior where half the guys from the Mountain West, no less, more than half the guys went to the NFL. Yep, And so he could do things because he had a phenomenal defense, so it really didn't matter. It's like the Ty Detmer thing. He could throw three or four interceptions, but he's also throwing seven or eight touchdown passes. So what difference did it make? It didn't make a difference because their offense and their offensive schemes were so much better than the competition that the amount of interceptions for Ty Detmer were irrelevant when you have that many touchdown passes. So I think comparing what Brian Johnson did to what is available now isn't really accurate or a fair comparison because he knew that they had a phenomenal defense. So if they gave the ball away, the chances of the other team scoring were pretty slim anyway. So you could be more aggressive here in the Pac-12. I don't think their talent right now this year, because this is the year we're talking about, is far superior to a lot of the teams that they're playing. I don't even know that their defense is going to be the best in the South, let alone the Pac-12. That remains to be seen. So I think that factors into it too. The idea is to win the game. And so I think Kyle is going to stay with mostly what he does in terms of winning the game, because that's, that's the only thing that matters in this. Did, did you win the game? So yeah, he'll allow Brewer to display his abilities a little bit more. But also, it's depending on time and score, what the situation is. You know, if you've got the ball on the 40-yard line and you're up by four with four minutes to go, are you going to be airing it out? Probably not. (laughs) You know, that's not who he is. So that is interesting. Will they be playing from behind in these games where he's forced to let him air it out? Or will they have a lead and at which point you're looking at all the running backs and you're looking at the other line and thinking, turn around and hand it off. We're up by 10 with 10 minutes to go. Turn around and hand it off. Because the issue now is, I think there has been, and I think there will continue to be, although I can't guarantee it because there's still a lot of unproven talent, there has been and will continue to be a talent gap between the Utes and the bottom of the Pac-12. There's some separation where they're just a lot better than the bottom third or bottom half of the league, however you want to draw it up. With the buys, it's a little tricky, and you know, you playing everybody in the bottom half of the top half or whatever. So the the question is, how are you going to beat the most talented teams in the league? Can you beat the most talented teams in the league, conceding that a big part of the game you're really not going to test them? The Oregon and USC and whoever else is really good, a Stanford, Washington, ASU, whoever in any given year. Are they going to go in going, he's not really going to throw the ball down the field. <laughs> like, let's get ready to win the smash-mouth battle. Because it makes you, if not completely one-dimensional, it makes you pretty one-dimensional. And it makes you easier to defend. I mean, Kyle's whole thing is, is he loves the running quarterback because they're harder to defend, and it doesn't make you as one-dimensional. gives you an extra blocker, and it gives you a chance to, when the play breaks down, still make a good play. So if they don't make them defend the whole field, can they beat the best teams where we can all agree there isn't a big talent separation? If there is, you're on the you're on the wrong side of it. You know, all these four and five stars pan out at Oregon. You know, well, then you could be on the wrong side of the talent gap. Well, I I think you have to factor in the complexion of the game. 
the New Orleans Saints go to Denver and Denver's playing a receiver at quarterback. That's an extreme example because of the COVID (laughs) last year, right? Right. So there was no need to throw the ball. So if they get into a game where it's obvious, you take a a couple years back when the Sun Devils came, the last time they played, Jaden Daniels was a freshman, right? He was not prepared to play against that defense that had nine guys go into the NFL, right? And so they dominated. So there was no need for Utah to throw the ball around the field that game. So you have to factor in what your defense is doing to the offense. The only way the Sun Devils would have won that game was if they got scores defensively, special teams, or short fields for the offense. Because Utah's defense was going to overwhelm ASU's offense. I mean, I think he had like three completions in that game, something, some ridiculous number, right? And he was just throwing it away. They made a big deal. Oh, he only threw two interceptions as a freshman. Well, whoop de friggin' do. I mean, the whole goal was to not throw an interception. So the second anybody got in five feet with him, he threw it away. So big deal. If you're a defense, fine, throw it away. We'll take second down and 10, third down and 10, and fourth down and 10. And even if we don't have an interception, the kids threw it away constantly. And he had two picks. Great. Well, he had nothing else to go with it. He had two picks and three completions. Now, that's two picks the whole season, I think. They're all excited about that. And that's nice. But if your offense is just you just throw it away anytime it gets near you, you're not going to have a lot of picks. So I have to look at the games. I can't make a blanket statement to say Charlie Brewer is going to do this or that. Because if they get into a game where their defense is overwhelming someone, what's the point of throwing it? The point is to win the game, not to pile up stats to show somebody you could do this or that. So I think that's where we're at there. So I'd have to see and look at the individual games because their defense is dominating and the running game is effective. And that's still, I have to see that now, you know, if they would have Ty Jordan, I would have guaranteed that the running back or the running game would be effective. Well, they don't obviously because of the tragedy. So they got these new guys that I haven't seen play. I saw Bernard a little bit, but as you know, second or third team guy, you're not really seeing a whole lot, especially last year when they only played a handful of games. So, you know, there's no body of evidence. Jordan got enough carries to where you knew, wow, he's really good. But nobody else did. So I got to see, can they run the ball? Because if they can't run the ball, well, then you got to throw it more. So there's so many things that factor into it before I can say they're going to do A, B, and C. Well, that's all true, and I get it. And right now, you know, I want to know more. The scrimmage was closed. So we have to go on Kyle and his tone and what he says and the way he says it versus what we've heard from him in the past. And it sounds different right now. So I'm thinking it may be different in the fall, but, you know, it, it'll be what Kyle wants it to be. <laughs> He's made it clear before when he wants something one way. I mean, it's his team. It's his uh well, it's, it's college. It's not a franchise. You know, it's his organization, and it'll be the way he wants. That's his program. I think it's program the would be the word I was escape was escaping me. Yes, yeah. it's his program, and so whatever he's feeling on the sideline in the third quarter, what got said in August or April or whatever, you know, it's what is he feeling in the third quarter? And if he tells Andy, "Hey, we need to play the last twenty minutes like this." They're going to play the last twenty minutes like this. Well, the thing that I feel confident in saying, DJ, is that. Kyle is going to do whatever it takes to win the game. And so the point being, if it takes throwing the ball to win the game, he's going to throw the ball. I think that's the important aspect is that he's going to coach to win the game. And some games, obviously the complexion of one game to another 
yeah. can be radically different. Yeah. I think that you there's a, a segment, probably not all, but there's a segment of the Ute fans listening to this right now who are thinking, well, it's not what he's done in the Pac-12 title game. Well, okay, but in, in the winnable of the two games, because in one game against Oregon, they really they just they didn't have a chance. Oregon dominated that game and dominated their defense. But did, Washington, yeah. the Washington game, okay, well, he had a backup quarterback. And so you may not want to take the chances. You've seen what you've seen in practice, and we don't get to see that. And you've seen what he's seen in a handful of games, some of which had gone well, but they hadn't gone up against a team like Washington. And so, you know, he's, he's had to play a lot of backup quarterbacks. I think for both Utah and BYU, and we can get into this later, but I think the, it's going to be really interesting, who the, not just who the starter is, but who the backup is. Because you look over the last decade as the youths have you know, stepped into the Pac-12 and as the Cougars have stepped into independence and, uh, and played some better teams, backup quarterbacks have taken a lot of snaps and gotten a lot of starts for both these teams. So that's going to be a factor. And, you know, Kyle, the way he's talking, I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, Kyle take a different tact with Charlie Brewer versus the other quarterbacks. Maybe not. That remains to be seen. Yeah. I get your point. It remains to be seen, you know. But I, I think a lot of you fans are like, in the biggest games, they haven't exactly lit it up. Well, okay, they had a great chance to win a game, but they're out there with a backup quarterback who didn't have much experience. Well, you you were talking about that Washington game yeah. uh, three years ago, and and obviously, and, and Zach Moss wasn't there either, so right. they had they had a, a backup running back, and then he so you had uh, an NFL running back who was not at your disposal. And Tyler Huntley, you know, he did play last year in the NFL a little bit there and is an unusual situation. But nevertheless, he was pretty good, particularly as a senior. I think he was very good. We all know that. I, I think it's up to the coach. You know, Herm Edwards made that statement. You play to win the game. I think what was the Jets coach way back when when he said that? Well, I think as a coach, you coach to win the game. I'll tell you a little story. And it was several years ago when I was covering BYU for the Watchdog. They go down to uh, Albuquerque, and it's just as windy as can be. Mm-hmm. I mean, big time winds. There were just, just the conditions were just awful. And they won the game with this very, very low scoring. And the guy who was calling the plays called the plays with the situation, knowing that New Mexico's offense was not able to put up any level of success against Utah's defense or BYU's defense. So the play caller in that game was very conservative with the point being it's windy as heck and our defense is dominating and we have an inexperienced quarterback. So let's be smart here. Well, and I, I, you could probably guess names, but I'm not going to give you names Uh, a little later and they win the game, right? After that, it was like a week or two later, the play callers telling me that the head coach was upset because the play caller didn't throw the ball down the field. And the play caller was frustrated because he was telling me this. He's literally, this is a one-on-one conversation. He's telling me this. I called plays with the intent to win the game and we won the game. If the circumstances would have been, if it would have been a beautiful evening in San Diego and San Diego had one of those prolific offenses like they did in that 52-52 tie that they had many, many years ago and all that, mm-hmm. we remember that. I don't even remember the year. I just remember 52-52 and sometime in the 90s, I guess. I know I was at the Daily Breeze sports room, so I can get within a year or two or three because of uh, I remember watching it on a little television. 91. Uh, we, okay. I, 
I don't remember the year. I don't remember the year. But I know I, I know where I was. Well, because it was incredible. We're all looking at this game thinking this is just ridiculous. This is indoor football, right? Well, the play caller, who I assume at that point was Norm Chow, right? He knows, man, we got to score because we ain't stopping those other guys at all. <laughs> so he's not calling draw traps and, and uh, you know, the chip blocks off the number A gap or what all that stuff, all that jargon. He's airing it out because that was – and the and tie for them was as good as a win, if I remember the circumstances. Mm-hmm. So they were – that in those days you didn't have OT. So in that situation – you know, you coach to win the game. And I, I'm confident that this season, Kyle will coach to win the game. And game A, B, C, or game seven and game 10, game four, whatever, all of those, the criteria of the game could be completely different. But I believe he'll do whatever it takes to win that individual game that he's coaching in. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This story to be continued for sure. When we come back, Bob Casper puts a wrap on the Masters. We all get held accountable for our picks, some of which were brilliant and some of which were horrific. And we'll do that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Bob Casper of Real Golf Radio. Is it allowed for a caddy to give his player like a shoulder ride or a piggyback ride from hole to hole? <laughs> they're not linebackers. They're not, they're not going to give their caddy. <laughs> Bob Casper's probably given thousands of interviews, and today he was asked if a caddy can give his golfer a piggyback ride. You try to give somebody a piggyback through Augusta. Are you kidding me? All the hills up and down? While carrying their bag? While carrying their bag. You are got you their bag and them. Imagine if it's El Pato. <laughs> oh, eat more beef, Larry. Like, I can't go another step. Either can I, beefs. I'm crying over here. Either can I. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 12. 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning is brought to you by Mark Miller's Subaru. Time to welcome in Bob Casper, Real Golf Radio, to put a wrap on the Masters and our draft picks. And Bob, no wonder that the people who, you know, call a play-by-play or the analysts on these big broadcasts don't want to make picks sometimes. Because once you do, you want your picks to win. And you don't want the other guy's picks to win because goodness knows I was watching the Masters on Sunday thinking, man, if Xander Shoffley comes back to win this thing, Bob's going to be unbearable Monday. <laughs> well, Xander made a – I'll tell you what, he made a pretty good move there on the back nine, but unfortunately um, hit a ball in the water on the 16th hole and uh, and his hopes were dashed. But I'll tell you what, he made a, he made a great move making some some nice birdies. And uh, and ended up finishing tied for third. I'm wondering, Bob, now with uh, Matsuyama winning, you know, he's been on the tour for a little bit. I've seen him play down in Phoenix when I've gone down there. And I, can, I I'm, I'm, my question for you is if, if you think that we'll start to see more Japanese come over and more have success. It was like, you know, in baseball, when we first had the Japanese come over to the big leagues, it was somewhat of a novelty. And, and now when they come over and they're heralded, whether it be Ichiro back in the day or Atani for the Angels now, nobody really bats an eyelash because these guys were accomplished in Japan, which means they're probably going to be accomplished in the MLB in the U.S. So I'm wondering if you see this situation going forward as far as Japanese now having lots of not just success, but big time success here in the U.S., 
You know, um, PK, it's interesting. Uh, Japan has a tour over over there that is is a big a big professional golf tour. Um, I played in a couple events over there in Japan, and um, it's it's amazing what the country feels about the game of golf and how how they um, revere their champions. Uh, Hideki Matsuyama, you know, of course, was an amateur 10 years ago, won the Asian Pacific Amateur and was able to play at Augusta as a 19-year-old and finished tied for 27th and and uh, was was the low amateur. Now, 10 years later here, he is he's the Masters champion. Um, yes, I expect, um, you know, we've had uh, Japanese players off and on. Um, the Ozaki brothers um, and some others that have that have played over here in the United States, but I expect that we will see more Japanese players that come over, just like we've seen more Asian players come on both the men's tour and the ladies' tour. So um, yes, uh, I, I agree with you, um, and we'll we'll probably see uh, you know a steady diet of them. Um, but, you know, they still have to go through the qualification process, get their tour card um, and that kind of thing. And it, it's it's a little bit harder route for them when they've got such a great tour over there that they're currently playing on. So can you put and you're a guy who's been to Augusta so many times, you probably think it's normal now. I don't know. Do you, I don't know if you still get chills uh, when you go there. I, I think I've never been there. I'm pretty sure it blow me away the first time I went there. Do you think that uh, aside from the comfort of, hey, you get to be at home, you don't have to be halfway around the world, the money's good wherever you are, is there a lure to this tour and the major championships over here? You know, maybe like some European players, you don't make the move full-time, but you make sure you play a few events before each of the majors, so you're at least a part-time tour guy. Yeah. Yeah, you know – Matsuyama has a home in Japan that his his wife and his I, I think his son or the, I, I know he has a child um, they were in Japan his parents that kind of thing they weren't there at the event he also has a home in Florida in Windermere Florida in the Orlando area um, yeah when when guys come over traditionally whether it's Europe uh, whether it's other parts of the world they like to be able to play a couple of events on the PGA tour before leading into a major championship. Um, and a lot of times they're accommodated by that. Uh, it depends on the ranking in the world and that kind of thing. But yes, um, that's what, that's what we'll see. Um, and as we see that, um, and guys start to, uh, play well and, uh, earn, earn their privileges a, a lot like Will Zalatoris has done who finished runner up. Um, as they earn their privileges and and are able to become a member of the PGA Tour, then, of course, we're going to see them a lot more on a consistent basis. So I'm thinking Spieth is back, but McElroy's done. Well, I don't think he's done. Hmm. I think he's the, – the problem with, with McElroy right now is he's going through a big, huge swing change with a new coach. Um, and because of that, you're – it's it's going to be difficult for him. I I you know it's a Ryder Cup year. It's going to be tough to see how he plays. You know maybe by then it will be worked out. But he's going through a lot right now with his swing and his game. Uh, his putter's not great either. Um, it, he's just kind of he's in a quandary. Um, and it takes 
normally takes somebody that goes through a swing change um, on the PGA Tour, whether it's the PGA Tour or anywhere else. It normally takes a year to a year and a half before things start to settle in and they start to uh, feel comfortable again with where their swing is at and where their swing's going. So I expect to see Rory um, kind of flounder a little bit for the remainder of the year. So speaking of floundering, we have our three-round draft. We draft nine guys. Tony Finau is the 10th guy. He tied for top 10. Uh, we all like him. We all know him on some levels. So we, we don't draft him. We put him off the board. But we draft these other nine guys. And you take the defending champ, DJ, in the second round. He misses the cut. PK takes Roy in the second round. He misses the cut. And I take Patrick Cantley in the third round. He misses the cut. Now, seven <laughs> of the top 20 golfers in the world miss the cut. Yeah. Should we focus on that, or should we focus on the fact that we all had a big old swing and a miss? Well, I think we all had a big old swing and a miss, if you want to know the truth. <laughs> um, you know, week to week, guys struggle. Um, and, you know, you'll see guys on the PGA Tour that will miss a cut one week and then come back and play extremely well and win a golf tournament. We saw that with Brooks Kepka earlier in the year. He missed three cuts in a row. And then he goes and he wins in in Phoenix. So um, things like that happen. Uh, it's an individual sport. You don't have anybody backing you up. Uh, you know, you're you're left to your own devices on how you play. And you know, in some weeks you're just not there. And um, that's that's what we saw. I, I totally expected Cantlay to play good, DJ to play well, um, and Rory to to not miss the cut. And they all three did. Uh, it's just, just an unfortunate thing, but I don't think you can read anything into that consistently Consistently, as far as they're concerned. So outside of the obvious and the winner and, and maybe Spieth and a couple others who were in contention, did anybody impress you? Oh, yeah. Will Zalatoris, um, who finished second at nine under par, he really impressed me. He was only one shot back. Um, here's a kid that uh, – that became uh, the leading points earner on the Corn Ferry Tour, um, who has who really didn't have a place to play um, two years ago, but got onto the Corn Ferry Tour and was leading that, turned sponsors' exemptions, and getting into the U.S. Open uh, this last year, and, and parlayed those into um, being able to have temporary membership on the PGA Tour. And, and going from number 1,600 in the world, if not higher, to number 43 in the world and getting in the Masters. And here he, in his first uh, event, finishes runner-up. Uh, totally impressed with him, especially yesterday in his play, how he, how he worked himself around the golf course, um, how he, he didn't seem like he was affected by the situation, that he enjoyed it, that he was having fun. And uh, I think he's a kid that you're really going to have to look at over the next little bit because I think he's going to be a champion uh, quite quickly. So the uh, Masters, does it inform you in any way of who you, or maybe PKRI should pick, coming up with the PGA Championship? Does the Masters play into that or different course, different world, it's a little more than a month away, and we can't really draw one thing to another? Well, it's being played uh, at on the ocean course at Kiowa Island, which is a little bit type of a different world than you would you would say with the Masters. It's more of a kind of a link-style look. Um, uh, 
quasi link style look, you know, with a with a U.S. feel to it. Um, traditionally, the PGA Championship kind of plays somewhere in between a Masters as far as difficulty and a U.S. Open as far as difficulty. Um, it's a it's a golf course where they where they normally set it up, and what what they set it up to is what you get. And and the guys, you know, if if the weather's right and everything, guys will go out and shoot great scores. Um, so I kind of, I really kind of like the PGA Championship as well in the way that they set up a golf course, not too extreme to uh, for for the players. But you know, I yeah, I would say um, you know, Rory won there the last time they played it. Um, I, I would say that that you're going to see a lot of a lot of new blood in the mix. You're going to see uh, top. 10 players in the mix, um, top 20 players in the mix, it, all of the above. It's it's going to be a great test. It's only a month away, and then we get the really hard test in June at uh, Torrey Pines down in San Diego. Well, Bob, we will talk to you again before the PGA and the U.S. Open. We love having you on during the, uh, the major championships, and we'll talk to you. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bob Casper, Real Golf Radio, every Saturday morning, 6 to 9. He and Brian Taylor right here on the Zone Sports Network. Our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, is coming up in about 20 minutes. Sniggy? Yes. Do we do we have time or we got to go to break? Oh, we, have a, we have a minute or two. You got something? Yes, because you just admitted something that I've always believed about you. And you've always denied it. What is that? But you just can't. You, I've always claimed that you didn't want the other guys' teams to win because you didn't want them to gloat. And that year that ASU won 10 games, you kept telling me, oh, I predicted it. So as if then I couldn't gloat. You just told us that you were rooting against Shafley so Bob Casper in a 10-minute radio interview couldn't gloat. Oh, yeah, I was a little worried about that. That's different than your Sun Devils, though. <laughs> no, it's not. It absolutely is. <laughs> Why would you care if Xander Shoffley won a golf tournament or not? At no point would I even think to worry about, well, Bob Casper is going to gloat. So what? Let him gloat. This is sports. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And I knew it. I don't care if you gloat about Arizona State. I don't have a dog in the hunt in the Pac-12. My team's in the Mountain West. I care if Scotty gloats about the Aggies. I care about Boise State. You have a dog in the hunt in the Masters because of some stupid picks that we do? Yes. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Pull it for Jordan Spieth. Come on, Jordan. Make that putt. Right. That's your dog. So you root for him. Because mm-hmm. you picked him, mm-hmm. great. But you're worried about somebody else gloating. Oh my goodness! You I was the last of the three. <laughs> I was the last of the three of us to pick a uh, a winner, and I was having to listen to you. Bob has one. See, but do doesn't have one. I know, but it never pans out with Arizona State. My team's never going to win the Pac-12. They're not in the Pac-12. I got two schools I pull for. One doesn't play football, <laughs> and one's in the Mountain it's, West. It's about the other guy gloating that's the issue 
You don't want the other guy to gloat. Gloat away. If, Z- if Xander Shoffley would have won, I would have been just as happy. Pratt, I probably would have been happier. He was yeah. an American. Yeah. I He's tend to root for the Americans. I don't yeah. care what he, he could be a Oshkosh uh, Badger. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> Oshkosh Badger. He just made him up. It's like Minnesota State. What are you, coach? Come on, Dauber, knock it off. Oh, it was uh, – I, I went with Wisconsin, but I didn't know Oshkosh's nickname, so I combined the two. Nice. <laughs> so you're worried about people gloating. I always believed that with you, and that, and you just admitted it. Oh. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Donovan Mitchell is on a tear. Is this going to lead to first-team All-NBA? More importantly, what is it going to mean for the Jazz and the playoffs? We'll get to that next, and Steve Cleveland will hit on it in about 20 minutes right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Big Show show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Jazz General Manager Justin Zanuck. As the trade deadline approached, was there anything going on with the Jazz, or did you sit back like Fonz looking at himself in the mirror? I like what I see. Gordon, did you just call me the Fonz? <laughs> <laughs> He's like 80 now, right? I'll go back and watch it. Um, given the results, two-thirds into the season of being very good, also given the large part of our assets are wrapped up in the highest performing players on our team, and anybody that would be available would maybe require disruption of that core group when that continuity is valuable going into the playoffs. And Coach has done a good job of developing our depth that we feel really good about the group that we have. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. And now, your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. No balls in one stride. The big right-hander ready and delivers. Swing and a ground ball to shortstop. Kim has it. Friendly hop. Throw to first. That is a no-hitter, and that is history. Joe Musgrove with the first no-hitter in Padre history. April 9th, 2021 at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas. The kid comes home, and he gets it done. The Padres' first no-hitter is the Chevy Strong play of the game. Know it today at 450 on the big show, and you can win fabulous prizes. I walked the halls of Grossmont High School, PK. I don't really have halls. I walked the blacktop asphalt of Grossmont High School. What does that mean? Uh, it means our school didn't have a gym, and we had to go there for basketball practice and home games on their campus. No, Why are you telling me this, though? Local note. Footnote! Why? Because I'm jealous of you and Thunderbird High School and all the great athletes who come out of there. And we had There's nothing. no. Nothing. So did this kid go to your school? Is that what you're saying? I'm, I'm missing no, he went here. to a rival school. He went to another school in our league. Be a Jordan Brighton kind of deal. So are you upset if he's now gloating? No, I'm good. I'm good with him gloating. <laughs> they, had him on, they had him on TV. I watched it. <laughs> On multiple interviews. It was great. All right, so most Jazz fans, however, did not spend Saturday thinking about Friday's no-hitter, although you can win fabulous prizes at 450 on the big show by knowing about that. They sat there and they watched Donovan Mitchell go for 42 points. Donovan Mitchell averaging 40 points a game over the last three games. He's averaging 30 points a game over the six games this month. 26 points a game this year is career high. You feeling a new level, PK? You feeling something different that might translate to something in the postseason? Can't guarantee it, but it seems like there's a better chance. 
Yeah, there's a lot of questions that you just asked right there. Pick and off so, anyone. Uh, right now, yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, I think that, yes, uh, to start uh, the first one that came to mind, uh, another level with Donovan Mitchell, absolutely, yes. Th- those Dwayne Wade comparisons that were made early on, they're 100% accurate right now. He's on a track that I can see him having the same types of success. I think Dwayne Wade upped his level. I, I, I looked this up a while ago. I don't have it in front of me now, but I think he got to 29 at one point. And obviously he's a Hall of Famer. He won NBA titles. He's a great player. Everybody knows all that stuff. And I think Mitchell is in that category. And he's, as far as Dwayne Wade, and we all hold Dwayne Wade, in, in, uh, at least I think we do, into pretty high esteem. You know, not the greatest of all time, but very, very high esteem. And I think that whatever that gap was between Dwayne Wade and Donovan Mitchell, I think Donovan has closed that gap significantly this year by his play. His play's been outstanding. It's been remarkable. And he can do so many things. I love when he gets, and we've seen this a time or two, when he misses a shot in there among the Giants, and somehow he gets the rebound and puts it back in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and he did that Saturday. Yeah. Yes, he did. We all remember that specifically. And I think that right there, that play, that ability to do that, that's just raw athleticism. And he has that. All sorts of athleticism. And it compensates for the lack of height. And I'm not watching everybody all the time, but I am watching Mitchell all the time. So I'm sure other guys have done that. But to see him do that, and he's close to the rim, so you got all the real tall guys there. He just has the ability to do that. It's so impressive. And I know he's not hitting the three right now, and that's great. Yes, because agree totally. Winning ball games, and he's finding other ways to win. You know, and so... It, it, it's real easy when shots are falling and you get in that realm. What did, what did Rodney Hood, did he score like 25, 30 points in one quarter once? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that's not the kind of player Rodney Hood is, obviously. But he was at that time. The point being that when Rodney Hood had it going on that night, whenever that was, whatever year that was, against whoever it was, he was on another level. All right. Rodney Hood has that ability to be on another level occasionally. I don't think he's come close to uh, doing that, just like uh, Cantor had 30 boards the other night. That's not who he is consistently, but he's got that ability occasionally to do that. Well, Mitchell, he has that ability to do it more than occasionally. That's who he is, and we're seeing it. And in the playoffs, you know, it boils down to did you win? Because if you shoot – uh, two of 20 and your team won, nobody cares, right? It's all about winning. You're trying to win whatever series you're in. You're trying to get to four before the other guy. That's the essence of a playoff series. That's really all that matters. And so can he do this individually? I believe he can, but they still have to prove it because this year too, which is what's going to be so intriguing, when they go into the postseason, that at that point, It's put up or shut up. And all the naysayers as far as the Jazz, which there are many, many. Now, I put myself in the, in I'll believe it type of thing, but I believe they can do it. I have to see it. But there's plenty of naysayers that are saying, no, they will not and cannot do that. I'm not in that category. I'm in more of the category, all right, let's see what you can do. I think you can do it. I believe you can do it. 
but you got to go do it. So I'm over here, and I think that's where you are too, that you think that, yeah, I think they can do it, but I got to see them do it as opposed to, nope, forget it. They can't do it. They're not going to do it. I feel really differently, not just about the Jazz, but about the whole NBA this year. It's really a weird year. There's normally two or three teams. There's usually one team that I think, you're going to do it. There's a couple teams I'm thinking, you could do it. And I said, dismiss 27 other teams. And so this year, I think, and there's 10 teams that record-wise have kind of broken away in the league. And I think there's about six of them, I think, have a chance to do it. But once you say six have a chance, by the time everybody has a chance, there is no one. And this includes the Lakers. And I feel differently about the Lakers than I did two months ago because the health problems have just become such a, a, a long-running deal. I just don't know that they're going to be healthy. They were the team I thought, like, you're the horse on the inside track in the Derby, and everybody else has got to run you down. And who's close enough that they have a chance to run you down, right? Right now, I feel like they're coming around the rail. It's the weirdest Derby I've ever seen. It's like six horses side by side. And who's going to run to the finish? And it could be the Jazz, but I, I feel like I got no idea. I mean, it could be the Clippers. I, I can give you a bunch of reasons why it won't be, but it could be. And the same with it, it could be the Suns. I have dismissed them, and every time they take another step and get 10 games deeper into the season, a couple notches higher in the standings, and now they, they shouldn't do it. There's nothing in NBA history that says the Suns should pull this off. I don't know who the comp is for them as an NBA champion, but they got the second best record in the league. How can I dismiss them? i got to give them a shot. Agreed. Yeah, at least uh, – to, to what degree uh, remains to be seen. Exactly. And, the, and it's to what degree on the Suns, on the Jazz, on the Nuggets. You know, the, the midseason trade to get you to a championship, it's rare, but it's happened. Uh, but there are some comps there in NBA history you can look at. Uh, you know, Rasheed Wallace, did he put the Pistons over the top? Um, the Clyde Drexler to Houston a long time ago was different because they'd already won a title, but they were struggling that year and they needed a boost. And he gave him a bunch of, he had 40 point games against the Jazz in the playoffs. And I don't think they would have won if, if he and Olajuwon hadn't both gone for 40 to beat the Jazz and knock him out. So there are these guys, you know, the Nuggets story has been done before. It's not out of the realm. I think the Lakers and Nets are the two teams I'd pick based on their star power and their championship experience and pedigree. But those two teams have had so many injuries. And if we've seen anything in the NBA just in the last five years, it's whatever you think you know 20 games before the playoffs start, it's going to get scrambled by injuries. And, you know, it crushed the Warriors one year. It crushed the Cavaliers one year. Uh, there are other teams that have been hurt along. I think it dinged the Warriors a second time. Crushed them once and left them with no shot. And another time I thought it, it hurt them. Uh, so I just, you know, I, I can't guarantee you the Nets and Lakers are going to be healthy enough to pull this off. I think if they were, they'd, they'd be the heavy favorites in both their conferences. But you've got to give Philly a shot. One of the things that made me a little nervous from the Laker perspective, you talk about how they beat the Nets on Saturday. The thing mm-hmm. that jumped out at me is Drummond had 20 and 11. <laughs> right. Uh, the buyouts are killing people. You know, the other thing that we haven't really talked about, but it goes to the Jazz taking every team's best shot. Have you seen some of Simmons' stats lines lately? Since he had that, what do you go for, 37 or 41? It was an enormous game against the Jazz. And Embiid has been in and out for different reasons. And, like, Simmons is having, like, seven-point games. But, man, did he get up for the Jazz. And whether it's battling for Rudy for Defensive Player of the Year or still irritated over uh, Donovan and the Rookie of the Year, he gets up for the Jazz, and the Jazz get his best shot. Because he's not coming anywhere near it in a bunch of games since then. 
All right, DJ and PK. When we come back, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Stay with us. DJ and PK brought to you apart by Syringa Networks. Working from home or with a hybrid workforce? Get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call them at 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. Time to welcome in our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. Steve, it's weird how things keep happening to you in your life over and over and over. And for jazz fans, and I was in Santa Barbara, which is just such a hardcore Laker area. And I remember when the Jazz and Lakers played in the playoffs in the 80s, and Laker fans for once in their lives in that era were actually scared in a Western Conference playoff series. And I was living here in the 90s, and it was Shaq and Kobe, and the Jazz beat them twice on the way to the NBA Finals. And sure enough, in the 2000s, it's Kobe and Gasol, and they're knocking the Jazz out three times. And I think a lot of Jazz fans, for all the success, are still looking over there going... Are those guys going to be healthy for the playoffs or not? What's the deal with LeBron and AD? Now, PK brought up earlier this morning, he saw some stuff about AD's out two more weeks, LeBron three more. That stuff can always, you know, move a little bit, but it's at least a ballpark. Are these guys getting back in time for the playoffs or not? Uh, I, I think they'll be back in time for the playoffs, obviously. But to be really not. good in the playoffs. Yeah, that, that, that's the question. Um, I think what does happen is just watching them play against Brooklyn this week is if, if, if there's a silver lining for the Lakers, it's that they can figure out how to win games without them and be a better team when they come back because they've really struggled and looked bad. And, you know, Kuzma's out as well and, uh, and Gasol. But I, Gasol being out, I don't think is a major issue. Kuzma is kind of up, so up and down. But with Caruso and some of the other guards and, you know, Caldwell Polk, getting confidence back. The only, the only silver lining I see for the Lakers is that if they can win more games while these guys are out and become better without them, then, you know what, it may be different than it was when it all started. So I do believe that LeBron and, and AD will be back. The question is if this second unit can get better. And if they get better, then I think that the Lakers are a team you probably don't want to play early. But who knows? We'll see what happens. But uh, that's the silver lining. The other thing is, I haven't seen the Lakers really haven't looked good all year, even when they were playing, as far as I was concerned. So, and you know, I've got a little bit of Laker blood in me. Uh, however, uh, it, it, right now, I'm excited about the Jazz and what's happening there. And uh, it just seems to be their time and their moment. And just looking at the schedule, finishing this thing out. I mean, I, I don't see any way that Utah doesn't win the division easily. I saw in that Laker game, you know, when they beat the Nets, that Drummond had 20 and 11. I don't know if he's going to do that when the big two come back because he may not have that opportunity. But how much do you think he can help them in the postseason? <clears throat> well, I do believe that he can help them. And, and I think that. Uh, you know, losing the two bigs from last year, there seemed to be something missing. And Gasol is, is kind of beyond his prime. He's certainly capable of keeping teams honest and knocking occasional three down. But Drummond is something they didn't have. And he can protect the rim. Uh, he, he can certainly score. And he seems to have a little something to prove. I think that <clears throat> he seems to be really motivated and active. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I, I just think he can help the Lakers. I think you'll have an impact, uh, but but again, 
I still believe that it's going to be the the seven, eight, nine, ten guys that are playing now. If they can come in and give valuable minutes, I mean, Caruso has been so up and down. All of a sudden, he seems to be playing a little bit better, kind of the way he was playing in the playoffs last year. Get that kind of play. Get Drummond. Uh, I, I think Drummond was a good get. I, I, it'll be a little dicey because if he's playing, uh, that means AD's on the perimeter. That always makes me a little bit nervous. I like AD at the five when they go small, but uh, there'll be teams that they play that I think Drummond can help them win games in the playoffs. So this means uh, what you just said right there really, to me, underscores Derek Favors' willingness to accept Rudy Gobert's back of minutes and nothing else and to throw himself into making an impact in those minutes. And... You know, they're really secretive about his health. I think the way he was moving, it wasn't good for a while, and he wasn't performing well for a while. I think lately he's probably feeling better because he's playing a lot better. But when you start playing a lot better, you tend to want more minutes. And it kind of messes things up if you get them. So you got to accept your role, even though that's a hard thing to do. Do you think Drummond is set up for accepting his minutes? Because if he just played when AD sat... You wouldn't have that issue you're talking about where AD's at the four and they're not quite as efficient. How does that play out, you think? Yeah, I, 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 mean, I don't know and don't know Drummond, but I'm just watching him play and looking at what he's been through. It seems to me that he's really excited to be out there playing. And obviously he's going to get more minutes now than he would when the two come back. But I think winning a championship is such a huge issue now in this league and – this is something that I, I think I, I see Drummond being a real asset, to be honest with you. Not, not that he's going to carry the team, but just having a presence, defending the rim, another big body. Uh, I thought the Lakers played as good as they have all year defensively against the Nets. And, uh, and, and that's, you know, I know they were missing people, and, and uh, both the point guards you know, got removed from the game in the third quarter, but... Uh, I, I think Drum, I think Drummond's are going to be a real asset to them defensively, and the ability to score inside. And there's times, I mean, the one thing about Drummond, he takes the ball to the rim. AD oftentimes will be in the post and just settle for the eight, ten, twelve foot jumper. And and that's not that he can't make that, but when those shots aren't going down, um, it, it can be a bit of a liability for the Lakers. And I, I think that the key thing is this: I mean, when LeBron James is healthy. And he's playing. I mean, he's the difference maker. I mean, we can talk about all these guys, but <laughs> LeBron James is the guy that is going to determine whether the Lakers get back to where they were last year. And because he can just play every position, and defensively they're good with him. Um, but I'm, I think the Lakers are better today because of the the reps that the the subs are getting and that Drummond's there. But you know, you're, you're looking at this thing, and it. They may be seventh or eighth in, in conference. I mean, depending on how people play, they're not going to ever have home court advantage. If a vote was taken today for first team All NBA, I believe Donovan Mitchell should be on that team. First team All NBA at this point in the season. React to that. I completely agree. Though, I'm not sure that all the pundits sportscasters and everybody else feels that way. But you, you look at 40 and 13 by the end of the week, you know, I mean, they've got the Wizards, the Thunder, the Pacers, they've got the Lakers at Lakers, but he, 
I mean, they're going to be 43 and 13, 56 games. What do they play this year? 72? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see him going away. And uh, he, he is the best player on the team that's playing the best in the NBA. Now, there are people that would argue that this is the most talented team or the best team, but certainly you've got the coach of the year, you've got the player of the year, and you've got a unselfish, great high chemistry uh, a team that people, everybody understands their roles and they're playing with a great deal of confidence. And uh, so I, I, I agree. Who are the other four? Because it's easy to say that, but then you've got to be willing to relegate someone else to second or third team. Well, let's just think about that here a little bit. Um, uh, to Tecampo? You, you look at, you, I mean, you look at somebody like Embiid who's been uh, hurt. You know whether that hurts him or not. Uh, I mean, you, you probably Harden is the guy that's played the most minutes for a, a really. I'm just going for guys that are on really good teams. I mean, he and Kyrie. Do one of them make the All NBA team? And they, they, they miss so many games. It's hard to know. Giannis is still always in the picture. Then you've got uh, the big fella at Denver who's probably Jokic. Every, uh, everybody feels that you know he's probably the MVP of the league. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Would you, what would you, you do know, with, Le- guys, what would oh, you do you with LeBron? I, I, I don't – I mean, if LeBron comes back and puts up numbers, yeah. I mean, how can you ever keep LeBron? But what if they miss 25 games? How, how do you how do how do you justify that? I mean, there's no question. LeBron, in my mind, is the best player in the league. I don't care if I'm going to pick first. I'm picking LeBron at 36 to be on my team. So yeah, LeBron LeBron is there. I just don't know if there's a number of games they got to play. Um, you know what those circumstances are. I mean, you look at Phoenix; they've got a, the second best record in the NBA. Uh, is you know Booker barely made the All Star team. So I don't I don't think he's a first team guy. Um, I don't know who who else do you think? I mean, who else is, is there? Uh, will Chris Paul break through? They got the second best record yeah. in the league, and he's been All NBA nine times. And, and there's a sentimental favorite too. I mean, there's a guy that's been around, and uh, and he, you're right. I mean, he, so if you if you took, uh, yeah, you, you took, I don't know. What what are your feelings about? Harden and Kyrie. I mean, Kyrie's been pretty special. You know, Harden was leading that team by himself for most of the. I mean, Kyrie's missed a lot of games. But I think Harden. You could make a real strong case for Harden and how well he's played until he just recently uh, has missed a couple of games recently. Yeah, I think there's a better argument for Harden than for Kawhi. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, I think that Harden and LeBron, because of injuries, may not make the first team. I think that Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard, Nikola Jokic, and um, Antetokounmpo have a really good shot. And so I just, someone's got to be sixth or seventh. And, you know, the door opens a little bit if Harden and LeBron get knocked out for injury. But that's the only reason they're getting knocked out. They They will get the votes and find a way to the first team unless they miss so many games. And I think it's more of an issue for LeBron than, than Harden because LeBron, I think, is going to miss more games. Although hamstrings are tricky and you never know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Damon Lillard is always, is always going to be in the mix. Jokic, I mean, uh, uh, Dr. is always going to be in the mix. Uh, I, I'm just trying to think if there's anybody 
uh, in the East that we're kind of missing. Um, I'll tell you what, until he got hurt, LaMelo Ball was as, I mean, the fact, idea of him being first team, no, but I, I'm telling you, I, I don't know if I was impressed with anybody more than him before he got hurt. I, I thought that he really, really helped Charlotte. Now, Charlotte's still in the playoff picture, but he was really fun. You know, some younger guys, but uh, I think the, the ones we've talked about are probably Donovan, Donovan Mitchell's in, in that group. I mean, there is no way he's not in that group. And, uh, you know, from there, I think we've probably talked about the names that are more likely. But I, that, that, those are the things that come to my mind. I want to switch to college basketball here for a second. For the sake of the integrity of the sport, did Arizona need to part ways with Sean Miller? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just wondering why it took this long. And I, I mean, I, I'm not. Yeah, really. Sean. <laughs> I mean, I've met Sean a few times. I don't. He's not a friend per se, but that. For, I don't understand why that took so long. When when I I listened to the recordings, you can listen to the recordings on the telephone. All of that was public information. Uh, yeah, that should have happened a long time ago. I'll say it was a pan- pandemic. He had an expensive contract, and he won a lot. And those three things yeah. got him an extra year because otherwise he could have been gone a year ago. Yeah, uh, I'm I, curious. I I'm curious about all the names that have been linked, and it is. It has really entertained me how many guys have been linked to a job. You just can't have 50 finalists, and the list isn't 50 long, but it's pretty long. But I'm curious, as a guy who went in and had to clean stuff up, and then there was um, you know, probation and the NCAA comes in, how much should people want that job? Because on the one hand, it is the Arizona job. It's a power five league. You get paid a lot of money, and you got a chance to win a lot, and you got a rep to, to recruit off of. And then over here, sanctions, and people sometimes underestimate how crippling they are in the short run, which is all a coach may have is the short run. So what would you advise this long list of people linked to that job? You know, uh, I, I, I mean, I've, I've been involved in a job like this, um, and, and it, it didn't play out perfect for me, but there are some real benefits and there's some really good things that can happen. One, I think in a job like this, people are not going to be impatient. I know that most people are. But when everything gets fully exposed and, every, and we're going to be real transparent with the community and that athletic director, that president, and that coach need to be transparent about where they are and where they're going and that we can't go back to this and that you're, we're going to get this program back to where it once was, but uh, you need to understand that these things have to take place. And so I think there uh, is a narrative that takes place when the, when the coach is selected that can protect him, protect the institution, and welcome new players. Now, the transfer portal, we've talked about that almost every week. Uh, getting players quickly is not nearly as difficult as it used to be because there's 1,700 people in the transfer portal and a lot of them are really good players. But I, but I, 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 don't, I don't believe it's a job. I mean, I, I think it can be a really good job. And I think you get a little bit of a break and you get a little bit of breathing area that you're going to go clean things up and get things right academically. You're going to get things to change the culture. People are going to be a little more patient. You're probably going to get a year or two and then after that, they'll be chomping at the bit again. But 
I, I, I that those are good jobs to take personally. I, I think that uh, if you if you trust yourself, if you can get a great staff together and turn that thing, uh, that's a great institution. It's a wonderful place to play. It's in a good conference. Uh, it, it, they can make that a destination spot again without all the cheating. So I'm talking to some people about that job, uh, and a lot of folks down there are talking about keeping it in the family. You got Damon Stoudemire at Pacific, Miles Simon, NBA assistant, uh, and Josh Pashner, who was at Memphis, is a walk-on there for Lute Olson at Memphis now at Georgia Tech. And so those three guys, I don't, I don't think Steve Kerr or Luke Walton would leave the NBA to go there, but those three guys, college level, uh, I, w- I would certainly think uh, would be interested and then you also got Tommy Lloyd at Gonzaga, 46 years old, uh, and has a, an agreement to succeed Mark Few, who I believe is 58, but I'm not sure Mark Few is retiring anytime soon. And Tommy Lloyd has built a reputation with Gonzaga, and he has a loose tie anyway. His son, I think, plays for Grand Canyon, which is in the Phoenix area two hours away. But what do you think about Tommy Lloyd as far as from leaving his job where it's pretty secure and then from Arizona perspective of hiring somebody who's never been a head coach at the collegiate level? That's a great question. I, you know, Tommy Lloyd is, has had a huge impact in the footprint there at Gonzaga, and certainly he's comfortable. But I think anybody that's been doing that as long as they have, there's an itch to go have my own team. And to have my own team be in Arizona in a – you know, really a, a, a program that's had a storied history and it's been had great success. Um, I, I, I could see him leaving and, uh, and, and yeah, you, you know what, he, he's going to get out of his comfort zone, but I think most guys that are in this business at the highest level, that's what they dream about. And to be able to get that job and actually with an asterisk, have a little bit of time to fix that thing. He, he's a great recruiter. He, he knows where people and players are. And uh, I, I think that the turnaround will be pretty quick there. Now, you, you know, it's, it's interesting. All three of those others, Stoudemire, Miles, Pazner, I mean, those are all really good coaches, all have connections, and, and I think would all be good coaches there. Uh, Damon Stoudemire has done a nice job with the WCC. It, it's not easy building something at UOP, but he's made them competitive. You know, I did a few of his games a couple of years ago and had a chance to spend time with him as he – you know, he, he does a great job in preparation. He brings kind of a NBA feel for things as well. He just wasn't dealing with the same caliber and level, high-level players. But I, I don't think you can miss on any of those guys. But Tom Rizzo will get his chance to stay at Gonzaga. But it may be a deal where, hey, you know what? I helped establish this, and I want to go do my own thing. And I want to establish my own program. And, I, listen, I, I don't know him, and I've never had a conversation. But I could see him thinking that way that this is a great opportunity for me and to do what we've just done, replicate it, get Arizona back in the top 10 in the country and going to the NC2A tournament every year and doing it clean. So, uh, and I think people can get excited about that. I, I'm sure that their Arizona alums w- would love to have any one of those three former players or have connections. The Tommy Lloyd probably, he, he's, he's a guy that's as hot as there is and, and has been in a program that's been dominant. So, uh, I think it's a. I think it'd be a good hire to have him come in. Yes, there's things he's going to have to learn, and yes, he's going to have to get a staff, and maybe he fills some of his staff with former players from Arizona. I don't know, but 
I, I, I think it's, it's a little risky from where he is right in a safe, comfortable position. But I think most guys want the challenge, man. They want to have their own team. And this is a, probably a pretty good time for Coach Lloyd. Well, Coach, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for stopping by, and we will talk to you again next week. All right, guys. Take care. Steve Bye. Cleveland, our basketball insider. Everything you missed in this show, we'll get you up to speed next. Number one. Because you're number one preset. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Now Miles Bridges, he'll go in, dunks it on top of Clint Capella. Are you kidding me? Oh no, he didn't. Miles going to give it to you. Now, they got across the timeline here, chested into the front court to Bledsoe, the no-look to Zion, and the flush with two hands. That couldn't have worked out better. George puts the head down momentarily, crossover, down the middle of the lane, all the way to the room. Oh! Paul George, look out! A box off his finish as he put it on the head of Isaiah Stork. DeRozan taking it left side. Gets a screen from Derek White. Takes it down toward the baseline. Now step back long two. That shot is good for DeMar DeRozan with five-tenths of a second remaining in the game. Highlights from the NBA there. The Spurs beating the Mavericks right at the end. Nuggets give up a 31-3 run to the Boston Celtics. That's probably the head-scratcher on Sunday. Clippers beat the Pistons. Blazers lost. So... Three, uh, four of the top seven in the West playing, and three of them losing. The Jazz are two and a half games up on the Suns. Those teams both won Saturday and took Sunday off. What would you like to share with the people from Sunday's or this weekend's NBA action? Uh, the Jazz won. They came back and beat Sacramento. I think that's what most people care about. The rest now, everyone's chasing the Jazz, so... The Jazz don't really have to worry. All they have to do is win. If you want the number one seed, well, it's simple. The path is there, and that's a great spot to be in. Everything else, um, I don't I don't really think that our listeners are that concerned about it. I think that probably the best news was that Denver lost because they had been 7-0 and zero with Aaron Gordon. And so that makes you a little nervous. You know, is Aaron Gordon the missing piece in terms of getting in the finals in the way that Jeff Hornacek was the missing piece? when he was brought over and he needed a little bit to get going. And then what, by the first full year of training camp, he was in there and integrated into the system. And then they went to the finals two years in a row and wondering if, you know, that's where they are with Aaron Gordon. I think they had won eight in a row. Uh, And the Celtics, they are the biggest mystery team this year. You have no idea what they're doing from game to game. And so they went on a phenomenal run. So Denver losing was a little bit of an eye opener. So I guess when you're in first place, the only thing from the Jazz perspective that you would enjoy is the teams below you losing, right? Right, but I think it's getting to the point for me now that I'm intrigued by what these other teams are doing. I feel like the Jazz are going to be first or second. I think the odds are very good they're going to be first. There is a slight chance they'll be second. It's five games in the loss column back to the Clippers. 
and the Jazz have the tiebreaker. So I don't see that the Jazz are going to be caught by the Clippers or Nuggets. I know you, you're still invested in the Northwest Division, and I'm sleeping on that, but, you know, that's just going to have to be a difference the two of us are going to have to live with. And we're just going to have to adapt. So the Jazz are going to be one or two. I think they're going to be one. Who eight is, we can't possibly know until they do this play-in tournament thingy. So I'm a little focused, and I confused you with a roundabout explanation. I'm a little focused on who's going to be in the four and five slots. Because that's... The Jazz, I assume they're going to win the first round. Donovan said they're getting out of the first round, and the one usually beats the eight, regardless of who the eight is. It could be Memphis or San Antonio or Golden State. I don't know. I guess it could be Dallas. I don't think it will be, but it could be. So I'm looking at 4-5 thinking, are the Lakers going to end up in that 4-5 series? Are the Lakers a second-round opponent for the Jazz? And I'm starting to think the answer is probably going to be yes. It was a big win for the Lakers Saturday for the Nets. Go ahead. Think that. Yeah. All right, so there's the NBA. We mm. talked quite a bit about that and about Donovan Mitchell and the tear he's on. He's averaged 40 points a game over the last three games. Now, that's bubble Donovan range right there. Now, that was a seven-game sample, and there's no crowd, and there's no travel. So it's a one-of-a-kind deal. But as a guy who's in his fourth year, there's still upside for most players in the fourth year. How good can he be? How good can he get? How much can he sustain this? Can he sustain this through the playoffs? Because if he can, a team that's as defensively as good as the Jazz, that offensively has been top five all year, and now your top guy elevates himself, PK, dream big! Dream big, PK! Well, when you have the regular best regular season in the record, you should already be best regular season record in – at, at this point with a month to go in the season in any season is what I was trying to spit out. You should be dreaming big. And it's funny because you asked, uh, this is honestly my honest reaction. When you asked how long Donovan could sustain it, mm-hmm. I actually thought, what are we talking about? Five, six, seven years. I didn't think you were talking <laughs> about X amount of games this season. I literally thought, has he reached his prime? Can he get better? Uh, probably he can get a little bit better. And then once he gets to that a little bit better, you know, you start to get in your fifth year in the league, fifth, fifth, sixth year, you should be to a good measure who you are. You can get a little bit better for sure. And how long can he sustain it? I actually thought I would, to me, it's a given that he could do this the rest of this season. I'm thinking, can he do this at 32? That's what I was thinking. So I think that the, the key in all of this is do this. You know, and different people take that different ways. For some people, they're like, yeah, he's averaging 26 points a game now. That's top 10 in the league. That's pretty rarefied air right there. Now, he's averaging 30 points a game this month over a half dozen games. Can he sustain that? 26 to 30 only sounds like four points. And there's one or two guys in the league who are going to average 30 points a game. That's a lot. This 40-point tear he's on, no one sustains that. But... The most impressive thing, if you step beyond the numbers, is does he summon it whenever the team needs it? You know, that was a pretty tight game until the last three to four minutes with the Kings. The Jazz kind of broke it open, right? So he felt like he needed a 30-point second half, so he summoned it. He conjured it. He produced it. Now, you don't need that against Orlando, so you don't have a 30-point second half because you don't need it. When you need it, when you hit the toughest moments in the playoffs, and you've been doing this show forever, this is like your favorite thing about the NBA. 
get me to the playoffs in the biggest moment, and who summons whatever is needed. The big offensive rebound, the role guy who hits the shot in the corner to give the Heat the championship, the star who delivers 40 and 20 because that's what his team needs. What do you need, whether it's a series, a game, or a moment? And the fact that Donovan is starting to do that, more than any of the numbers, that would be the encouraging thing for Jazz fans. Now, it's one thing to do it against the Kings at home in the regular season. It's another thing to do it against LeBron in Game 6 of a playoff series. I get that. I get that. (laughs) Right, no doubt. Exactly. But if you can't do it against the Kings in the regular season, you're not doing it against LeBron in the playoffs. So it's a little bit of hope, but it isn't that the test comes when the test comes. So there's no final before the final to prepare you for it. You know, you got to you get to the final exam and that's when you got to pass it. And Steve Cleveland came on our show and was like, yeah, for all we're talking about, you know, and it, and it all matters. Everything matters. Role players matter and all that. But man, when LeBron is healthy and has it going, good luck with that. If LeBron's healthy and has it going, it really helps if you have Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. Have two slam-dunk first-ballot Hall of Famers. And have Klay Thompson, too. That's what you need when LeBron gets it going. This is a frightening thought. (laughs) Yeah, and don't underestimate Sean Livingston. Right? Win the bench minutes. (laughs) LeBron's LeBron. We get it. Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah, that's San Antonio Spurs thinking right there, win the bench minute. So, of course, it's now thinking for a half dozen teams around the league, right? Where Everywhere the Spurs' influence is felt, and obviously here in Utah with a GM and a coach out of that organization. So, well, not GM, that's not his title anymore, but you get the point. All right, so we talked a lot of basketball today. Uh, We talked a little bit of uh, golf today, putting a wrap on the Masters. Japan has a uh, major title now with the Masters. Hideki Matsuyami puts on the green jacket. How does it change golf? You drew the baseball analogy, PK, and I think there's a basketball analogy to be drawn there as well. As, uh, bas- golf was always a little international, but there's still a lot of countries where there's a lot of room for growth. Right, We've seen guys come from Europe, South Africa, Australia, but there's still plenty of room for growth. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you look at the LPGA Tour, the explosion of the Korean ladies has just been unbelievable, really, as far as them being there and, and, and uh, you know, having lived in Los Angeles where there's a, a, a much higher Asian population. I can tell you, generally speaking, a lot of Asians love golf, that's for sure. And we've heard the stories over there in Japan. And does this become, in a sense, groundbreaking? To me, having Matsuyama win on his own accord, it's not that big of a surprise. I've seen him win before, and uh, he's very, very good. We all know of him. It's not like you're wondering – well, who's this guy? No. At least I wasn't. He's, I mean, he, we know who he is. He's won two golf world championship events, and those yeah, have yeah. come. They're playing for a lot of money, and they're playing for some prestige. And the field's there. You're going to have 25 of the top 30 players at a world golf championship event. You might have more. But the, the best show up for those. So he's beaten that level of competition, but now you put him on a stage where there's even more prestige and history, and you watch the nerves go to work. But, hey, you build yourself a six-shot cushion, you earn the right to make a few mistakes and get away with it. And he did that and uh, played it conservatively coming home. Really, just after he dumped it in the water at 15, it was all about not dumping it in the water again. He, he made a conscious decision. I'm going to chip the ball twice 
and make a putt. That's how I'm going to play out this hole. And he did it, and that was the path to victory. Well, yeah, once you've got that lead, in a sense, you don't really hear about this, but you can play not to lose, mm-hmm. at least for a couple holes till you know, see where you're at. And the more holes you eliminate, the closer you are to winning. And the strategy obviously paid off. And, and, and obviously, uh, Shoffley hitting the ball in the water uh, helped the cause of and took, the, to look, took a little bit of the pressure off. But he's a winner, and he is a master's winner. That will be something there. You know, you have that for life. There's nothing like I can imagine having the prior year's winner putting that jacket on <laughs> you. That's got to be incredible. And uh, you go in there, and you get to wear that thing. And, and we know that we've heard about – uh, the Japanese media with mm-hmm. these guys who've come over from the U.S. and played different sports uh, and how they just follow these guys. I heard that when Matsuyama tees it up on American tour, he has 30 to 50 media members following him uh, just everywhere. It's, it's unlike anything that we as an American media and American public and a consumer of sports and media has ever experienced. It's really, really incredible. I saw it firsthand a couple of years ago when Gonzaga was in the tournament down there on West coast and they had Hutchimore on the team and I would go down the hall to Orleans and I see just all these people and didn't recognize it didn't register to me. Why are these Asian people in this hallway where well, they were waiting for Hachimura to come out of the locker room and do his interview stuff. And it was so cool because they're all engaged with him. And that's when I had that time to do that one-on-one with few. (laughs) (laughs) The bus couldn't leave. (laughs) Mark had nothing to do but talk to you. I'll talk to this guy. Whatever, I got to be Because there were so many people. Uh, from the media perspective, that wanted to interview Hutchmore. And obviously, he's playing with Washington. He's in town today. He should be playing tonight, actually. And so I can only imagine this because golf is big over there, obviously. And we'll see if, if 10 years from now, we'll just see that many more Japanese guys out on the PGA Tour playing. PK. They already play over there, but they play over here. One thing on this, there's a, there's some pictures out there on social media right now of Matsuyama and his kind of his guys he's traveling with. They're in the Atlanta airport. He's sitting just at a gate. He's got the the master's jacket just draped over the arm of the chair, waiting on a flight to Chicago, in theory, to connect to Tokyo. But he's just sitting there by himself with the master's jacket in the Atlanta airport. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Just awesome. (laughs) I guess the only guys who could really relate to him, then you'd have to go to a handful of, you know, Tiger and Phil level stars where you're getting that level of scrutiny. You know, 30 to 50 pairs of eyes on you. They were talking about it on the broadcast, and I don't remember which analyst it was who said, um, you know, the Japanese uh, media, he's going to have some time with them afterwards. And then Jim Nance chimed in, yeah, and the American media is going to want their slice of time with him too. You know, this is a guy who's going to be under the spotlight. Easier after you win. You got all kinds of time after you win. But uh, I think they were talking about it on Saturday about – you know, whatever your routine is post round to get ready for the final round, like he's got to sit, he's got to spend way more time with the media than everybody else. Did you know that he has a connection to Utah? What is it? I did. PK, go ahead. Uh, I had heard. Well, anyway, I, I don't know if it's the same thing, but I heard his interpreter was a return missionary. Bob Turner apparently lives in Saratoga Springs, based on what I was reading up on. He has served as kind of his liaison with the media and scheduling stuff. 
Apparently, they went to the U.S. Open in Marion in 2013 and got done with his round, similar to what you're talking about with his routine. He saw the driving range. He was like, hey, I want to go hit. And Bob's like, dude, you just barely finished the round. He's like, no, I want. look at this thing. I want to go <laughs> I want to go practice. Hit for an hour after his round and just was loving life. Yeah, and this kid, this I think, well, he's not a kid anymore, but uh, he uh, he learned the language on a mission. Yeah, this guy went, he was a convert to the LDS faith, went on a mission to Japan, married a woman from there. She got homesick, so they went back to Japan. He's been working over there for many, many years. His son actually was Ichiro Suzuki's translator. Oh, I did the, not know that. For the Mariners. Oh, really? Yeah, so this uh, family's all yeah. over pro sports. So the thing about, you know, being an American sports fan and living in Japan is, with the time difference, everything's in the morning over there for a week before the Olympics and walking in somewhere to do an interview and the TV is on and PK, it was the weirdest thing. The, um, it was, uh, I think it was the Marlins Indians World Series. The World Series is on at like 8 o'clock in the morning. And everything's intense and it's a couple people watching it and they're totally locked into it. And I'm like, I don't know if I can get this worked up at 8.15 in the morning. <laughs> well, but if that's all you know, you don't know any better. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, I think it was the thing that I could adapt to in the long run because what happened was the Japan series was on at night. So there was like big time baseball in the morning and then the whole country's into the big time baseball at night. A too. morning night doubleheader? Well, that would be if you were an American sports yeah, fan. That's what it would be. That's yeah. the way it would work. Yeah. Because everything that happened in North America would be happening oh, in the yeah. morning. His win wait, wait, came wait, wait, at 8 11 a.m. Uh, Japan time. Yeah. Back it up. If you're an American sports fan. Well, I don't know if, that everybody in Japan is following North American sports. Why I mean, not? We're the U.S. <laughs> well, we know they follow baseball, and we know they follow golf big time. There's no doubt about that. I have no idea how big the NFL is. I know there's been a handful of college and pro games over there, but I have no idea if they're, if they're waking up to their NFL football. Me either. Well, didn't ASU have the first Japanese of Japanese descent player to score a touchdown last year? PK, it was a walk against Arizona. Back. Against Arizona, yeah. Well, okay, but him, everybody scored a touchdown. But him, history making sixty-three to seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that still gets the coach fired, which is what you were hoping for. There's something more humiliating about the number seventy than there is sixty-three. <laughs> At 70, it seems like you're really piling it on. I've seen scores in the 60s before, but 70's hard to get to. That 10th touchdown's a tricky one. All right, that's a lot of what we have been talking about this morning. Your feedback coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. All right, time now for the feedback. <laughs> PK, you've done it again. <laughs> Uh. Well, it was just your throwaway comment at the end about uh, the Masters when I said to Bob, oh, man, I thought, if this comeback happens, if this Matsuyama big lead, it was four to start the day, it went up to six, if this goes away and Shoffley wins, that Bob's going to be unbearable. And then you said, see, DJ, you root against people so they won't gloat. I said, well, yeah, I rooted against him because we were drafting and going head-to-head, but I, I don't care about you gloating about ASU because I don't have a team in the Pac-12. I got a team in the Mountain West. And Hamlet, at Good Sir Hamlet, says, PK, he's trying to make this about gloating. This is about elite competition in all we do, including who we pick and watch from our sofas. And that's not okay, DJ. Not everyone has that elite competitive mindset. <laughs> <laughs> Look what you've provoked. 
That was good by Hamlet. So, I appreciated that. I, I have an elite competitive have mindset. Apparently not. I have it as I spill chips on myself. <laughs> Oops. Guacamole got away from me there. I'm in an elite competitive okay. situation. <laughs> I guess if that's a, a competitive situation, yeah. I don't really care if Xander Shoffley wins and whomever wins or, for that matter, any golf tournament. Doesn't matter to me. Let, let somebody gloat. What difference does it make? Uh, we've not talked a lot about Craig Smith, but I think we're going to going forward. And I think that, uh, you know, we both uh, remember when the Utes were really good in basketball and what the Ute fan base was like. And it's not like that right now because they haven't had anything to gloat about for the last five years. Um, and the last 15 have been a disappointment, although there have been some highlights in there. And Kristoviak had a Sweet 16 team in that run. Um, Craig Smith was on Talking Sports, and I posted a thing to social media, and Curtis Carter replies, he looks great in red. And then it's Steph Curry pouring salt out of a shaker. So Curtis taking a shot at the Aggies and pumping up his utes, and the guy hasn't coached a game yet. <laughs> but nonetheless, rivalries, you don't have to play to remain a rival, apparently. I Sorry, I do not talk about Talking Sports. Okay, do you want to talk about Craig and the huge fan base embracing him totally and completely? Once he wins, they'll embrace him totally and completely. <laughs> Notice I said once. I, I don't think they're waiting for it. If. I don't think they're waiting for it. Mm, Got to win, though. You do. Right now he's zero and zero, but I think they're uh, they're embracing it. They've watched him win with Utah State, and that's good enough for them. All right, DJ and PK, there'll be time to explore that going forward. Jazz are playing tonight, seven o'clock start. We'll tell you all about the Jazz tomorrow morning. One of the best of the post game show. The Jazz and the Wizards tonight. We'll see you tomorrow from six to ten. Hans and Scotty are up next.